your ride ready for spring driving with Dobbs Spring Break Deals. Money saver deals you can use on Goodyear, Pirelli, Cooper, Michelin, and General Tires. Expert auto service, too. Click on GoToDobbs.com for spring break deals now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's probably the best six-year run that anyone has ever had in the history of the sport when you include the the postseason. And it's his first six years in the NFL. We're talking about he's having the best run, the best six-season run of any player in the history of the game, probably, and he's getting better. He's getting better. As you can probably imagine, Robert Mays of The Athletic was talking there about the one, the only, Patrick Mahomes, the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. Patrick Mahomes right now is in the midst of the greatest six-year stretch we've ever seen by a quarterback, and it happens to be his first six years in the NFL. T-Bone, this is what he's done so far in his career. In the regular season, he has averaged roughly 5,000 yards passing per 17 games, 40 touchdowns, 11 interceptions per season. Somehow he has equated those statistics in the postseason. In 17 playoff games, which is what he has played so far in his NFL career, he has thrown for 4,800 yards, 39 passing touchdowns, and seven interceptions. There is only one quarterback who has matched those numbers in any regular season in the history of the NFL. You know who that is? Patrick Mahomes last year when he matched him in his MVP campaign. He has done that in 17 postseason games against conceivably the best teams that you can go up against in the playoffs. I'm not saying all of this though to talk about the Chiefs and to gloat about them getting to the uh, world or getting to the Super Bowl with the worst team that I've seen from them in the Mahomes era. I'm actually talking about this for the Cardinals. Because as I was listening to Robert Mays with that quote yesterday on the Athletics NFL show, he did that with Chase Daniel. I was thinking to myself, you know what? This actually applies to the Cardinals in a way that I I probably hadn't considered previously. And it relates back to something that we always say about Albert Pujols. When we talk about Albert, we talk about how the first 10 years of his major league career are arguably the greatest 10-year stretch for any player in the history of the game. Now, nobody's going to have a conversation about the greatest player of all time and say that the number one player on that list is Albert Pujols. I don't think anybody's having that conversation. But if you talk about the greatest 10-year stretch, his name has to be thrown into the mix at a minimum, and it might be the first name that pops up on that list. And that happened here in St. Louis. It happened here in the last 20 years. And it happened with this ownership group and this front office group finding a way to make this model work around that player. Would you have that dude who in the first 10 years of his career led Major League Baseball in runs scored five separate times? Suddenly that makes up for a lot of deficiencies elsewhere on your roster. Now, the Cardinals had good teams. I'm not trying to suggest otherwise in that first 10 years of, of Albert's Major League career, but... If you look at the pitching side of things, 
it was just okay for the most part the names wouldn't like shout from the mountaintops wow this is an unbelievable rotation from front to back they had good pitchers they had a really good coaching staff they had a few like elite level players around albert pools but they found a way to make it work because albert was the center of their universe just like patrick mahomes is the center of the universe in kansas city if you have that guy you can make up for the fact that you don't have great wide receivers you can make up for the fact that for 17 games your running game was merely fine you had time to be able to get your defense up to the level where they are a wrecker of all offenses once you get to the postseason that's what albert allowed you to do that's what mahomes allows you to do the patriot way was actually about tom brady not about bill belichick or the other stuff that they did that was special in boston it was hey we've got the greatest quarterback in the history of the game the greatest winner ever he's gonna allow us to do a lot of things around him he's gonna take less money which just allows us to support him with a better team all of these different things and so as we bring this back to the cardinals i do wonder if the cardinal way quote unquote their model is actually about albert pujols it's actually about hey if you have this guy that is the greatest 10-year run in the history of the world and he does it in the first 10 years of his career six or so were well under market value when it comes to what he was paid here in st louis is that what you need in order to make this model work because if it is guys i got news for you not that hard that guy is not coming back see i it's funny when you brought this up to me in the office i i don't necessarily view it as albert being the guy for the cardinal way i think of like yadier molina as being the guy for the cardinal way and the reason i say that is even after pujols left they still won without albert 2012 second in the central with 88 wins 2013 97 wins 14 90 15 100 wins took four five seasons before they finally had a year that was down and they were still above 500 and they missed the playoffs and were second in the nl central sure but go back through those win totals for the most part since albert left 90 93 92 91 86 like that's where they've lived since albert pujols was gone they had that 2015 season don't get me wrong and that was unbelievable and that was driven by runners and scoring position numbers and unbelievable starting pitching other than that though they've mostly been a team that kind of lives in that 86 to 93 win territory almost every single season since albert left but the reason i bring that up is because like when i if i if i thought that was the case i would think like offense as being a big problem for the cardinals when albert left offense was an issue and the offense was fine the reason i throw to yadi as the guy for me is in that stretch from 2012 until he retired in 2022 they had an ace for what three of those years and that was wainwright at the very beginning of that and then after wainwright kind of had that achilles injury in 15 we all know about the down years he had one half season of jack flaherty being an ace they never had great pitching. And yes, that led to some of the downturn. Also, also, the offense was an issue in that 16 through 18 stretch. But they never really had legitimately great pitching. And we talked about it this past year. Why did some of the wagon fall off for the Cardinals in 2023? Yeah, their pitching was terrible. They didn't have talent in their rotation. That's the bottom line. But I, I think a big part of that was because they didn't know how much the idea Molina effect was going to have when he left of how much he was kind of the scouting report that made up for their lack of building a infrastructure down in the minor leagues and you know having all those pitching machines ready to go to help with that stuff yadi was the cheat code for the st louis cardinals that's why like i view him as the cardinals way and when he left right away you saw that it was 
oh, yeah, we actually have to go out and we have to spend money on starting pitching. We have to go get guys that've got swing and miss. We don't have a cheat code anymore in Yadi or Molina. That's why I look at Yadi more as the cardinal way than it is so much on the absence of Albert Pools because I still think that they won and they still had pretty good offenses without Albert. Once Yadi left, and it's only been one year, the pitching was terrible for the St. Louis Cardinals, and I think a big reason for it was they didn't know exactly what they were missing until Yadier Molina retired. Tanner, that's a fantastic point, because think about the calamity that ensued in the weeks, the months after you opened last season and Yadier Molina was not there. Now, don't get it confused with clubhouse problems, things of that nature. There was just utter confusion on the part of players' personnel, how to deal with this gaping hole that we now have, insofar as Yadier Molina is gone, who's actually going to be orchestrating the plan Wilson Contreras became in many ways the fall guy really through no fault or very little fault of his own but because of the calamity that was there in place that's not something BK that I think we saw right after Albert left it was more confusion than anything else last year what do we do Molina is gone our linchpin here is gone now what yeah I don't want to focus on one year though I don't think this was a one-year issue I I don't think like 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. I don't think Cardinals fans are focusing their ire on the team, the organization, the front office, the coaching staff, etc. because of any one season. I think Cardinals fans have been building this frustration for years. I think this has been building since 2016. Because if you look at the results since then, missed the playoffs, missed the playoffs, missed the playoffs, went to the NLCS with a team that nobody here in St. Louis liked. Pandemic season, wild card, wild card, have not won a postseason game in a real off or real playoff series since 2019. A team that people here didn't like. And how do I know that? Because we didn't sell out a playoff game in the NLCS. And if that's happening here in St. Louis, that tells me all I need to know about how much this city embraced that version of the Cardinals. Nobody believed that team was legitimate. Nobody. The team, like... It was just something that did not capture, for whatever reason, the hearts, the minds, the imagination of this fan base. They didn't believe that it was a legitimate contender. And so as I look at where the Cardinals are at right now in their life cycle, like, yeah, you look back to 2015, that's the last team that people really believed in as a, like, holy cow, this team could actually do something special. And you didn't have to, like, squint or kind of, like, tilt your head to the side to, to buy into that. You just, you knew. They won 100 games. They were one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. They had unbelievable pitching. They had talent across the diamond. They played the quote-unquote hard nine that people look for. They had it all. Now, that team did it, to be fair, without Albert Pujols. I, I think that when you look back, though, to what Albert allows you to do, he had allowed them for a decade to focus their drafts, to focus their offseason wish list on hey, let's accumulate as much talent as possible on the pitching side of things. And Jeff Luno had had done an unbelievable job of setting this organization up to have that pipeline of talent coming through the system. And when you have Albert Pujols, it allows you to not have to worry about that center of the, that middle of the order. Well, after he left, and after you lost the presence of, you know, guys like Matt Holliday and Carlos Beltran, suddenly your entire world is shifted towards we've got to find the guy that can plug into the middle of the order because that is not an easy job to be able to hold. We talked to Matt Carpenter a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about how, hey, being that guy, especially here in St. Louis, is incredibly difficult because you have to produce on a day in, day out level. 
And you have to be the guy that's talking to the media. You have to be the guy that's leading the team. You have to be the guy that's getting your work done and helping others groom themselves as young players on the big league level. It's something that very few players are capable of. Albert was. Not only was he capable of doing it the first time around, he was capable of doing it a couple of years ago when Juan Yepes was basically a shadow. Everywhere he went, you saw Juan Yepes following. So I say all of that to say this. I think that there is a way that the Cardinals model can still work. I think it needs to be adjusted. I think it needs to be, and really this is a Cardinals model thing more so than a Cardinals way thing. The Cardinals model has to be adjusted to be more aggressive because when you don't have that guy, when the Patriots don't have Tom Brady, you have to be aggressive elsewhere. You have to be aggressive at taking a shot at a quarterback instead of waiting for Mac Jones to fall to you. You can't just be that team that waits for everything to come to you. No, now we've got to go aggressively pursue things. We are just like everybody else now. That's where the Cardinals are at. You don't have Albert. You don't have Yachty, to your point, T-Bone. Hell, you don't even have Wayno. Now you have to be the team that is the aggressor, and that means going out and pursuing Sonny Gray. That means going out and then also going the next step of getting that number two starter. I, I, think the, I think the Cardinals have fallen behind for a long time because they have been chasing their tail and trying to find the next way to capture what they had in the early 2000s. The problem is, the way to do that is by altering what you did in the early 2000s. You can no longer be the team that had Albert Pujols when you no longer have Albert Pujols. Yeah, you now have to go kind of in, to that point because I, I think that's a good one. You now have to be more willing to, I would say, pay for pitching and worry about developing hitters because what they did was they developed the hitter or, or excuse me, they had the hitter, and then they could focus on the development of pitching. As we've seen, it's very hard to develop starting pitching in baseball right now. And, and it comes down to, are you willing to go pay for the guys if you can't develop it? And that is the one area I think they've been lacking, to your point, of willing to go to the next step. Sure, you got Sonny Gray, but who's the two behind him? You don't have a two behind a Sonny Gray. So I I did find it interesting that they kind of decided, because I, I heard Stoltz bring this up after the Matt Carpenter signing about the Cardinal way, why is there no new version of the Cardinal way? It feels like they are always going back to, oh my gosh, th this season went right. We got away from the Cardinal way. We got to go back and bring in guys that were a part of that. Lance Lynn, Matt Carpenter. Honest, the Cardinal way is winning. Like that's that's what the and I Sonny Gray did a really good job of explaining this at winter warm up where he said the Cardinal way means something different to everybody. Like even within the Cardinals, it means something different to every player, every coach, every front office member, the ownership group. It means something a little different to everybody. And to you as a fan, it probably means something different depending on how old you are, what teams you think of. It's something a little different. But ultimately, what brings all of those people together, the through line for fans that are 100 years old and fans that are 15 years old, is winning. That is what you think of when you think of the Cardinal way. And what got away from them last year was the winning. They lost. And so they bring back players that they remember that they won with. So Lance Lynn, you won with him. Matt Carpenter, he was here during some winning times. Like Kyle Gibson has been a part of some winning organizations. Sonny Gray has done some winning. That's what the Cardinals need. They need guys that win. And the problem is like, you can't, I argue this all the time in hockey where it's like, you don't just become a winner by being on a Stanley Cup team. Yeah. You play winning hockey. And you can do that on a losing organization. Like last year, Ivan Barbashev, winning hockey player. He was doing so on a losing team. He wasn't that player because he had won a cup in 2019. Yes, he was a part of that team, but 
he's a winning hockey player because of the way that he plays. Ryan O'Reilly, winning hockey player because of the way that he plays. You don't just like get to be labeled that because of what teams you were a part of. People don't label Phil Kessel right now as a winning hockey player, despite being a part of winning hockey teams. And I don't understand why we like randomly do that one way or another. But the real reason why the Cardinals lost their way last year was because of the losing. They didn't have enough winning players on their team. They didn't have enough good players on their team. And that's one thing that they have to get back to. They got to get back to their winning ways. That means signing good baseball players, regardless of where they came from, if they have any ties to this organization, and if they think that that's going to come through leadership, if they believe that that was the biggest thing that was missing last year, so be it. But you can't keep trying to recapture what you had when you bottled up the greatest 10-year run in the history of the organization or the history of baseball, maybe. Just like the Chiefs or any other team in the NFL, you, you can't try to recreate what's happened here in Kansas City. It, it's impossible. No, nobody else has Patrick Mahomes, just like nobody else had Tom Brady in the last 20 years. Teams tried to recreate that. They tried to take off their branch of that poisoned New England Patriots and tree. It went poorly for every team that tried it. And the St. Louis Cardinals are are seemingly trying to recreate something that just can't be replicated. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're going to talk to Joey Vitale, Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. I want to ask his thoughts on what was the single most positive development that we saw from the first half of the Blues season and how would he classify this season so far? Blues are technically in a playoff spot. They had one of their worst games of the season, though, heading into this break. Was this a successful first half? Plus, Joey Vitale, all of that coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the NFL's coaching cycle is officially over. And Dan Quinn got the last spot. What does it mean that Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick both left out of this cycle? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. We have some breaking news. The Washington Commanders have identified their next coach. Sources say it is Dan Quinn, the Cowboys defensive coordinator. Of course, so much of this is about leadership. It is about pairing a first-time GM with a veteran head coach. That is what Washington gets. So that is the latest move in this year's coaching carousel. That is Ian Rappaport and NFL Network earlier today. All of the coaches have officially been hired. There are no more jobs available, which means both Mike Vrabel and Bill Belichick 
are going to be left out of this coaching cycle. Bill Belichick, arguably the greatest coach in the history of the league, is not going to be hired. And Mike Vrabel, who I think you could have made an argument was the best coach available this offseason, also not going to be hired by another team. Chargers go with Jim Harbaugh. The Raiders go within, along with the New England Patriots. Raiders hiring Antonio Pierce. Patriots hiring Gerard Mayo. Titans went up to Cincinnati. They get Brian Callahan, their offensive coordinator. The Panthers follow that model by going with the first-year OC for the Buccaneers. They are hiring Dave Canales. You got the Falcons who hired Raheem Morris, Seahawks hiring Mike McDonald, and now the Commanders hiring Dan Quinn. Let's start with this move that the Commanders made yesterday. I actually don't mind it. And the reason why is because I I would have preferred, of course, Ben Johnson. I thought that would have been a home run hire for whoever ended up getting him, the young offensive coordinator, hot shot hire, who would have come in and hopefully molded this number two overall quarterback that they're going to be selecting this year in the draft. But when he says no, now you have to pivot. And now you got to think to yourself, all right, what are we trying to accomplish here in Washington? And if I'm them, I don't think there was another home run hire this cycle unless you go to Mike Vrabel and it's very clear that they didn't want to go that route they never even interviewed Mike Vrabel so if you're not going the Mike Vrabel route you're not going the Bill Belichick route let's eliminate that from our conversation because they clearly didn't want to okay what do we want to do there's no more home run hire let's get somebody that can get our organization on the right path because this organization has been a dumpster fire t-bone for the last 20 years it's been the laughing stock of the entire NFL. You could say a lot of things about Dan Quinn. One thing I'm pretty certain of, though, is that the dude knows what he's doing as a head coach. Now, that doesn't mean he's great at it, but he's got things that are going to streamline the processes. He's going to keep everybody on the same path. It seems like he's a great communicator. He's got excellent energy. What I, re- what I remember most about his time down in Atlanta is the vibes were immaculate while he was the head coach. They had boom boxes in the, in the locker rooms. They did go to a Super Bowl, by the way. Let's not forget that. His worst season was 7-9 and nine while he was there. It's not like he was this disaster coach while he was down in Atlanta. And he has had some success with those defenses in Dallas. Now, it ended in horrible fashion while he was the defensive coordinator there. But... Overall, I would say his tenure there was pretty darn successful with the Dallas Cowboys. If he comes in and over the next three years, his ceiling is he gets you to 10 wins one year. Overall, though, it's kind of mediocre, but he gets things back on track in a way where like the job is more attractive three years from now and you figured out what you get in this young quarterback. Then you're set up to hire a really successful candidate in 2027. That's not the worst thing in the world. Sometimes that's what you need. Like college programs, I think, do this too often where they're like, hey, let's go try to make another home run higher after having a disaster. Thinking A&M. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay to just get a stabilizer. Somebody that can just like make your program really solid. And I think that's what happened here. I think the commander said, okay, what do we do to get back to nine and eight? Get back to 10 and seven. How do we get there of a consistent, like really solid situation I think Dan Quinn can do that for him. Yeah, I agree with you. I I think he was the second best option for them once Ben Johnson decided he wasn't going to do it. Because you're right, they needed something to come in and kind of stabilize things. And I know it's not the home run hire that ownership was looking for because that was clearly what they wanted was the big swing to say, hey, new ownership, new group, here we go, Washington. (laughs) And then Ben Johnson was like, yeah, deuces, I'm going to stay here. But I I don't mind it because you're right. I I think he's the perfect kind of stopgap. We talk about stopgap quarterbacks all the time. 
Can they be serviceable like Baker Mayfield and Tampa to potentially get you to the playoffs? Yeah, and I think that's exactly what Dan Quinn is. I think you're right. His ceiling's probably going to be about 10, maybe 11 wins. But your hope is when you take that quarterback number two overall, he brings energy, he helps develop that guy, maybe hires a really has to hire a really good offensive coordinator. Absolutely. Really develops that guy. And then by the time you get like two, three years in, you look at it and go, you know what, there's more to our team. Then you can go out and look for whoever that big home run hire is. So, yeah, I'm with you. I, I don't mind this hiring from the Washington Commanders. There's a lot to be said for stability especially for a franchise that has had none of it in the last few seasons to over a decade. And this falls in line, this particular hire, Quinn, at this moment, in line with exactly what that advisory committee is hoping to do. You would think they're in the nation's capital. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. We're happy to go out to the 101 ESPN hotline right now to be joined by Joey Vitale, the Blues analyst for 101 ESPN. And, of course, you can see him on Bally Sports Midwest as well. Joe, we appreciate the time as always, my friend. How are you doing today? Joey, Joey, Joey. <sighs> Tanner, Tanner carrying the baton without Alex. Doing great. Doing great, guys. How you doing today? Uh, doing really well. So, Joe, we're in a weird spot with this Blues team because we're at the midway point. They're 26-21-2. And, and I think all of us would have signed up for that going into the All-Star break before the season, certainly, and definitely after we saw the firing of Craig Ruby. And yet... They lose that game one to nothing against Columbus, and it was arguably their worst game of the year, and so it feels almost kind of empty coming out of that one. How do you feel about this Blues team as of today? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a seesaw affair with this team. And, you know, I mean, the reality is this, you know, BK, and you know this better than anyone. You watch way more sports than me, Tanner, you as well. I mean, most teams are like this. Like, it, the rarity is the Colorado Avalanche. We know what they are, and they're good. Or let's say the Chicago Blackhawks. We know what they are, and they're bad. Most teams fall in this kind of midsection of, they have really great moments. Then they have some really terrible moments. And they, a lot of teams and general managers and fans alike are saying, what the heck is this team? And, and like me, I, I still think, you know, what is this team? Because we really, we really don't know. I mean, we're going to find out a lot here within the 14 games after they return from the All-Star break before the trade deadline. And we're going to learn a lot about what this general manager feels about this team based off some of the moves that he is going to potentially make if he makes any at all, because he's kind of in a weird spot right now where this team really can make a pretty decent push slide in. If you slide in, they have something that not a lot of teams have, which makes them a threat. I'm telling you right now it's goaltending. I've been watching these games. I watched the league. These, these goaltenders that we have, they're special. They, They have something that not a lot of teams have. They make timely saves. They keep this team in the game. And you, you guys know it better than me. When it comes to playoff time, a goaltender without question can steal a series or two. We've seen in the past, and it can certainly happen again. Joe, I'm glad you brought up the goaltending because me and Alex were talking about this on Monday right before he left. Do you feel like Hofer and Bennington are one of the best tandems in the NHL going right now? I, I do. I, I think right now, if you look at the last month, Tanner, I would say yes. I think consistently – over the stretch of a full season, I think you got to go with, with the tandem there in Boston with Swayman and Allmark, even though there's been some injuries there. 
I still think that's the best one-two punch that the National Hockey League has right now. But I would put certainly St. Louis in that top five category where these guys are making timely saves. They've been sharp. They've been focused. They kind of look a lot like each other. They both have the same poise off the ice. And I think they're pushing each other right now. I think that's what's best. That's what's really good about a 1A, 1B like we have. You know, although I would consider Joel Hofer a, a, a full, full backup, but I think he makes that push where now Drew Bannister and this team, they're using him even when Bennington is rested and can go, but they're giving Bennington extra rest. I mean, that's how good he's been. So I think with all that being said, I think these two have certainly found a groove where they're both having success, and now they're both pushing each other to that old idea that whatever you can do, I can do better, which can be very healthy for a goaltender tandem. Joey Vitale is our guest here on 101 ESPN. You'll hear him on the call for Blues as they get back from the break here in the next 10 days or so here on 101 ESPN. And then, of course, pre-posting intermissions occasionally over on Valley Sports Midwest as well. Uh, Joe, it was a tough start to the season for Braden Shin, but over the last 11 games, he has 11 points. He's got five goals in that stretch. It was a, a tough one for everybody in that Columbus game, but otherwise he's played really well. What have you seen as a change in Braden Shin's game over the last 11 that's unlocked his production? You know, BK, I think that the biggest thing we've seen is he's he's just found one that's led to more. And, you know, that's that's the best way to, to, to describe it. I, I talked to Braden last week, and I said, What's, what do you attribute to? He's like, I said, clearly I'm doing nothing different. Hmm. Approaching the game the same, uh, going after the game the same. I just got one bounce, one turned into two, and – and it just kind of, when you step on the ice, his confidence, I guess I shouldn't say nothing's changed. His confidence because of the production is definitely different. It's the feeling of when you're coming to the rink and you're in a hot streak and you're like, you know what, I'm going to show up and continue to do my thing. It's just kind of unfold. I love that word. Ryan O'Reilly used to always use that word unfold. When you're prepared, you're in the groove, you're in the flow of this game, you're in the flow of life, things just kind of unfold. You don't even need to go get them. And I think that when you're struggling, you lack confidence, you're constantly trying to go get things. You work extra hard. And you find yourself a lot of times in quicksand where the harder you work, the further you fall. But when you're in a uh, confident state, like certainly Braden Shen is, it just has unfolded for him nicely. I go back to three weeks ago when he scored that shootout winner versus the Carolina Hurricanes. Though you don't get credit for that. that was He was in a huge dry spell, the biggest dry spell of his career. Scores that shootout winner, and it's just continued to mount from there. So I think Drew Bannister has done a really good job recognizing that the captain is surging. He's put really good support around him, including Jake Neighbors, who has been the biggest surprise and most improved player this year for me on his wing. So he's got good support around him, and the captain is certainly doing what he needs to do to lead this group from that 500 team they've been for a long time and now certainly in a great position to make a hard push after this all-star break. Joe, you mentioned Neighbors being a big surprise. I'm curious your thoughts – we're at the All-Star break. We know it's a retool for the Blues. What would you say so far this year has been the biggest development for the St. Louis Blues for their retool moving forward? Uh, that's a great – that's a really great question, uh, Tanner. I think that the biggest thing, aside from a, a Jake Neighbors, for example, that's taking a big step, you know, Colton Franco has been healthy. We got the goaltending. We mentioned that. I, I'm going to isolate our All-Star, Robert Thomas. This has been – his breakout season, it's his sixth season. You know, we see this with players across the board. Look at a Nathan McKinnon, for example. Look at uh, an Elias Pedersen. Look what Quinn Hughes 
is doing this year, all these players kind of came into the league at the same time. And why do I bring all these players up? Because for these types of players, it takes, it takes four or five seasons to really find yourself in a good groove. You know, the exceptions are the Crosbys and the McDavid's. I mean, they come in, they're hot, Bedard, he's on fire, right? That's the few exceptions. But these, these late first-rounders, early second-rounders, these guys that are potentially top centermen in the league, like Thomas's, it takes four to five years. And this is going to be a big year for Thomas. He took a great step last year, I thought. He earned himself a great contract. He's going to be a pillar and what I believe to be a future captain of this team one day. So all those things are great. But what is he going to do this year? And to me, what he has shown the fan base, Doug Armstrong, everyone in the hockey world, that he is going to be the first-line center for this team moving forward, not because they have no one else, because he is a pure first-line center in the National Hockey League now. The way he passes, the way he competes, the way his defensive game has really gotten sharpened, he's become a leader on and off the ice. He's really evolved to be a franchise player. Like what Ryan O'Reilly was, a franchise guy, like the epitome of the franchise, like Thomas is in that direction. So to answer your question about what I love about this retool, what looks good, I would say it's that. That's that's the future of the St. Louis Blues. Uh, it's been established. We see it now. We've got the production and certainly the presence off the ice. So that's been a huge plus, I think, for Doug Armstrong moving forward. He's Joey Vitale. We appreciate his time as always. Joe, I know this is your break just as it is for the Blues. So thanks so much for spending a little bit with us today here on the show. We'll talk with you again soon, my man. Enjoy your break. Hey, sounds good, boys. Appreciate it. Appreciate it if you heard the dog barking. I had to get out of the house really quickly and go for a walk. This is my neighbor's dog is like a little yappy. Little yappy is like a big old rat. That 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 might be my dog. It's basically the same idea. Uh, Shih Tzu, Maltese mix, and she yeah. she has a mind of her own, especially as the doors open around this time of the year when it gets nicer outside again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like a big old rat. All right, <laughs> See you, buddy. That's Joey Vitale here on 101 ESPN. Always appreciate him hopping on with us. I, I think what he said there about Robert Thomas, that would be my answer to your question. Like, if I was to answer what is the single biggest positive development for the Blues so far this year, It'd be that we we now know Robert Thomas is a number one center in the NHL. I I didn't know that coming into the season. I know many were more optimistic about Thomas than I was. I had my questions coming off of last season after they had traded Ryan O'Reilly and we saw Thomas in some of those big spots. And I was like, man, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's ready to take this kind of a jump. And that's no shot against him. It's okay to be a really good number two center. There's a lot of guys in the league that you look at and you're like, man, really good player, but... Are they ready to carry that kind of a load? The answer is a lot of the times no. With Thomas, I think he's ready now. And it took a while, but he has developed into a guy that I trust in that number one center role. Now, I don't know that he has number one line wingers with him right now. I think some of those guys like Booch, I think he's like a a fringe one-two line type yeah. of a player. And I think, at, at least right now, Kairou looks like a second line winger. But for him, he has developed into that guy in terms of Robert Thomas. What would be your answer? So I, I think Thomas is definitely number one. But I, I would say that there were four. I don't know how you felt going into the year. There were four guys I had circled on what I was looking for in the retool that I had serious questions about. Thomas was one. Is he a number one centerman? Check. You got that one. Is Kairu a number one winger with him? I think the jury's still out on Jordan Cairo. Right now, I'd say he's the biggest question mark in the second half of this season. Um, I, I had a question of, is Preko like a true number one defenseman? 
and that has been a clear success. That's a check this time around. And is Bennington a regular season goalie? And Bennington has shown he can play, and he's been a good goalie all season long when he's got someone behind him. So for me, clearly the number one answer is Robert Thomas because he is the number one centerman, and I did have major questions about that. But I think right behind it would be Colton Pareko taking his game to another level and being a number one defenseman that we aren't saying is a 1B that needs to have a partner. Look, I, Nick Letty's played great this year, but I think he's being uplifted by Colton Preco. And I think that's the first time we've been able to say that about point. Preco for maybe the the entirety of his career. So I think that's another major development for the St. Louis Blues in this retool this year. Thomas seems to be the runaway winner here. BK, I'm curious, which of these two aspects, staying on Thomas for a moment, which of these two aspects has been more impressive or welcome from Thomas this season? The offensive growth, obviously, or that willingness to take on the proverbial 200-foot game and really yeah, applying himself on that too. Like, oh. I know everybody gets taken. Huh? Uh, the 200-foot game stuff, it, it is what it is. It, it's obviously important, but it's it's a, it's a piece of his game that we've seen for the vast majority of his career. I also think sometimes we overstate how great he is defensively. That is not a shot against Robert Thomas. I, he's an offensive-driven player. That's what he is. And... There are nights when I think that he doesn't have the full 200-foot game, but that doesn't matter when you're on pace for 28 goals, 87 points, and a plus 25 on the ice. Like, Fair. When you have the ability to be that guy, Nathan McKinnon isn't a very good defender. It's okay. The guy puts up crazy numbers every season. You know who's like a good defenseman but is more important offensively than he is defensively? Kale McCarr. And nobody complains about whether or not he's a great defensive-minded defenseman because he's always in the offensive zone. And if you have a guy like Robert Thomas, who's just, he's good on pucks, he's super competitive, and he's putting the puck in the back of the net more often than he has at any point in his respective career, yeah, that's going to be what matters. That That is what I judge Robert Thomas by, is, hey, are you at least average to above average defensively, and can you be a elite offensive player? And if you can do those two things, you can be a number one center in this league. And that I think that's where Robert Thomas has arrived at this point. Yeah, I'm with you there. It's more of the off- offense for me because I, I can remember saying for the last two years, man, he's got a 20-goal shot, and he's just not doing it. I, I just looked this up because you mentioned his goal scoring. He's at 17. He had 18 last year. He had 106 shots on goal last year. He's at 99 this year, and we're at the All-Star break. Yep. So he's bringing that offense to the table. And defensively, like, yeah, I want him to be an average defensive centerman for the St. Louis Blues and be able to shut down top lines, which he's been able to do. But let's be honest, defense is more of a five-man unit thing in the NHL rather than just one single player. Yeah, and there's just very few guys that I look at um, at, at his age – that are legitimate shutdown centers. Yeah. And I don't think he's that. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's fine. He's he's average to above average in that regard. And he does everything else really well. And now he's starting to put that goal scoring pro- uh, production out there. That is that is the key to unlocking everything else that we were looking for from Robert Thomas. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. By the way, I just looked this up because I was curious. Who are the guys at his age that have had a 25-goal, 85-point, plus 25 season. That is what Robert Thomas is currently on pace for. Uh, Jason Robertson did this last year. Kirill Kaprizov did it the year before that, along with Matthew Kachuk. Other than that, if you're looking for forwards, Braden Point, Connor McDavid, Alex Ovechkin, Nicholas Backstrom, uh, Zach Parise, Alex Ovechkin again. Those are the entire list of guys that have done this in the last 20 years. It's not a bad list. Pretty good list to be on if you're Robert Thomas. Coming up next, questions and answers here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. 
You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 3999646 is the air comfort service X line for questions and answers. We got this one from the 314. Hey guys, last night was a rough one for Mizzou basketball. How bad is it right now for Dennis Gates and the Tigers? Devon? Well, <laughs> if they don't win Saturday, they may not win another game all year. That's how bad it is. Uh they are they are in a bad spot right now. Defensively, they're not very good. Offensively, they're not very good. They don't have a guy I think they can really turn to that's a legitimate score at the sec level and they got destroyed in the paint last night and we were talking about this off air like that should have been a 20 point loss and then it'll be in what'd you say seven it should have been much worse than that so they're they are in a bad spot this year next year they will see because they've got a pretty good recruiting class coming in yeah guys i've had the great pleasure of covering three games this season and each and every one has unfolded mm-hmm. in the same way you don't have finishers you don't have enough dogged defenders in the sec to compete on a nightly basis and i for one am getting a little tired of hearing about the nightly free throw discrepancy well you don't have guys who can consistently create their own shots and or get to the rim that's what's going to happen you're going to be beaten up repeatedly and somebody like for instance, in theory, BK, before the season started, somebody like Vanover coming over, he's a nice piece in theory, but as far as floor spacing goes, physicality underneath, you're just not getting any of that from anybody right now. Yeah, I mean, we knew what he was. He was a guy that was going to be a stretch five, which is a nice piece to have when he's making a shots, and he hasn't made his three-pointers at the same rate as he did when he was uh, at Oral Roberts or whatever it was last year, and this is what you get. Like, he doesn't have great rebounding numbers. He's okay defensively, and he's a shooter that doesn't make shots. So, it's not, it's not good. Last night was different, though. Like, this was a different kind of loss than what we have seen from him this, this year. This was a loss against a terrible Arkansas team that had completely given up on the season. Like, the stories coming out of Arkansas right now are about Eric Musselman trying to get out of Arkansas because of how much of a disaster this team is right now. His team has given up. His program's a nightmare. He's trying to leave. That is a 20-point non-competitive loss that ended up being closer because by the end of the game, Arkansas wasn't trying against a horrible opponent. That's different than losing to Alabama by 15 or in overtime against a South Carolina team that's actually pretty good or even earlier this season when you lose by 30 against a, a really good Kansas. Like Those are different kinds of losses than what happened here. This was embarrassing. They got embarrassed at home against their rival who was having every bit as bad of a season as they are. This was the moment when I think all of us could take a step back and say to ourselves, okay, this isn't just a bad year. This has to be a complete overhaul of the roster. You can bring back like four or five of these guys and the next year has to be completely different. I I am still very much on board with Dennis Gates as a good college basketball coach that will have success at Missouri. My belief in that hinges upon his ability to return to credible play next year. Oh, yeah. You don't have to be great. I'm not even sure you have to make the NCAA tournament, but you have to get this back to respectability next season because right now it looks like it did at, like, the end of the Conzo Martin era. Yeah. Not Kim Anderson. This is not Kim Anderson bad. You are not non-competitive every single night. But this is the end of the Conzo Martin kind of era basketball. It cannot be that way again next season. Otherwise, we're going to have to have more difficult conversations. I think Dennis Gates is still a good coach. But 
next year's a big year for him man he's got to get this thing back on track tanner we talked about it if you don't come out and post a representative performance against vandy on saturday from where is any sort of win this season going to come i don't think you do it they've won one game in the last two months yeah central arkansas central you should become an illini fan they got a good team they do they're really good yeah you should root for them and that's Lou either. They're a disaster as Ooh, well. Ooh, that's every bit as bad. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers from the 636. Guys, do you think spring football will be a success finally with the merger of the XFL and the USFL? I think this goes back to what we've talked about a million different times with it, which is what are people expecting out of it? If you want this to be some, like, national success story and that people are watching it in the numbers of college football or the NFL. No, it will never be that because you don't have the, you don't have the historical fan bases of college football and you don't have the talent level of the NFL. You you can't, the NFL pays more. It has more exposure. Like you're just never going to be able to compete with that. Now, can it be for the NFL? What a minor league baseball situation is for MLB? Sure. That should be seen as a success. Be a feeder team. That, that's all it is and if we're okay with that and we acknowledge it and we can have success be just it's a lot of fun there's some guys getting a really important opportunity to show what they can do for the nfl level great if we're asking it to be more than that then i think we're always going to be disappointed by what spring football is yeah that, that's where i'm at is it, it you almost have to look at it like my, the minor leagues can it get to the point where it is viewed as like minor league football and they are kind of being that feeder for the nfl and heck become kind of what minor league baseball was uh, for Major League Baseball, which is maybe you do some like rules experiments, like the kickoff. They've implemented all that. That hasn't been because of the NFL, but uh, that that's the way they're going to have success. If they're if they're trying to do anything more than that, I, I don't see how it works out. I I will say the consolidating and combining the markets will help to a degree because not every city. Last year, when you had the XFL product, and how many of those cities did you not have the fans turning out in droves, a la St. Louis? This will be a bit of a solution. Maybe. Yeah, a we'll bit. see. You, you got to go to the right markets. Like that's You can't go to Las Vegas. You're not going to get XFL fans in Las Vegas. They were playing at like a high school team yeah. or high school stadium. That, and they, that one was bad. It was horrible. You have to understand what you're marketing to. Marketing to a St. Louis fan base that was I kicked while they were down by Stan Kroenke. Like, yeah, that's going to work. I That's absolutely going to work. Marketing to like Birmingham. That could play. Memphis. That can play. Don't go to NFL markets. Those people aren't going to come out and watch a team that they have no interest in when their team is currently in draft mode. That's, yeah. that's not going to work. Don't go to Nashville. Don't go to Kansas City. Don't go. I'm not even sure Dallas is a great market for something like this. Like, Go to the markets where you can be the story. Go to the, That's what minor league baseball does so well. These smaller towns, they like embrace the teams that are in that town because it's the biggest thing going, dude. Yeah. Like it matters when you go to a Memphis game or a Louisville baseball game out there with the bats. Like that, that kind of stuff will play. Going to a big top 25 market, I, I don't think that's the way you win with something like this. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll play a game of Can You Beat the Blues? Today, you guys will be going up against Kasperi Kapanen, and one person will be going up against Jordan Bennington. The winner will get a signed puck by Kasperi Kapanen and a pair of tickets to see the St. Louis Blues against the New York Islanders. We'll get into all of that coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. If you stay tuned for the next segment, we'll tell you how you can participate today in Can You Beat the Blues. But coming up next, Nolan Arenado was ranked yesterday in the top 10 third baseman in all of Major League Baseball right now. I was surprised by how low he was on this list, though. We'll tell you where he was on it coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
count that, that big hand. So Nolan Arenado is a big piece of what the Cardinals are trying to build, obviously. But they need him to be back to what he was in 2022 if they want to get back to being a legitimate contender in the National League. Yesterday, MLB Network came out with their top 10 list of the third baseman in Major League Baseball for right now. It's not projecting forward. This is not what they've been in the past. This is right now. Who are the 10 best third basemen in the sport? I was a bit taken aback when I saw how low Nolan Arenado was on this list. The player coming in at number seven is Nolan Arenado of the St. Louis Cardinals. Arenado comes off one of his least productive seasons since breaking into the big leagues. He was a legitimate MVP candidate in 2022, but he had just a 107 weighted runs created plus last year. And for the first time in his career, his defensive metrics were just above league average. So last year, he ended up having one of the worst years offensively of his career. If you look at it in terms of what he's been since year one in a full season, it was his worst offensive season of his career. And then you look at the defensive numbers and to Brian Kinney's point there, they were every bit as bad, man. He was really bad defensively for the first, like, two months of the year. He acknowledged as much, said, hey, I was dealing with some back stuff. I was trying to kind of lighten the load when it came to what I was doing defensively before games, and it ended up where I, I had, like, the dead arm. He just wasn't the same guy defensively. He finally picked it up down the stretch, and this offseason, winter warm-up, I was talking with um, Lars Nupar, and he said, a motivated Nolan is a scary Nolan, and I, I believe that will be the case. But T-Bone, the difference between what Nolan Arenado was offensively in 2022 and what he was last year is basically like if you're looking for putting a name on the gap of that difference, it was the difference between what Bryce Harper was offensively last season and what you got out of like Lourdes Gurriel Jr. offensively last season. That is a huge divide between those two players. Bryce Harper's one of the best hitters in all of Major League Baseball. Was amazing last year. A potential MVP candidate if he was healthy all season long. Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is like a nice ancillary piece of an yeah. offense. And that's what we're talking about right now. Nolan Arenado went from an MVP to a nice piece as a part of the offense. If the Cardinals are going to get back on track this year, we talk all we want to about the pitching. We could talk all we want to about the defense. One of the main factors in that will be Nolan Arenado getting back to who he has been offensively. Yeah, he's got to get back to being like a top five third baseman in all of baseball because if he does not bounce back, I don't think the Cardinals can. Or it puts more pressure on a Jordan Walker, Nolan Gorman to take that next step. I mean, we ran through the teams over the last uh, 14 years, 15 years, that have made 15 win improvements. A big common theme was they had veterans bounce back, and and he's one of those guys for the Cardinals. Yeah, he, I, I think the biggest reason for his struggles, I think it was just the health, so you hope that it's a healthy season for him. I expect the defensive metrics to get back to where they are and him to be playing like a gold-glove caliber third baseman, but it comes down to the offense because he's going to have to be the guy that is back to what you said, kind of in that Harper role, the superstar that's going to be driving in runs. Because I'm just being honest, two of the three years that he's been here have been pretty disappointing. 2021 was a little disappointing. 22 was fantastic. And then you had last year, which was kind of a dud as well. So he's got to get back closer to 2022 type numbers. I'm not saying he's got to be a top five MVP candidate, but he's got to start to get back to 2022 form to where he is a legitimate threat into that Cardinals lineup. If I told you right now, you can sign up for this year for him to be what he was in 2021. Gold glove defensively. Hits 34 bombs, drives in 105, but has an o o OPS of like 
810. It's like 20% above league average. So he's nowhere close to what he was in 2022 when he was an MVP candidate, but is better certainly by a decent margin than what he was last year. Are you signing up for that? No, because I think there's more there. I, there needs to be. I, I, I agree with you. But I, Arnato, like if I can lock that in and I know I'm not getting a repeat of last year, it, it's kind of tempting. 35 home runs is a, is a good season. Yeah, it is a good year. But I, I think there's more Tarnado's game, and it comes in terms of, like, the OPS. Like, I, I 807 OPS, yeah, that that's pretty good. Like, I'm expecting that from, like, Jordan Walker this year. I, I expect Tarnado to be about 30% above league average. And that year he was right around that 20% mark. So I would say just a little bit more, a little bit less in between 2022's mark. But I, I would say no. Like, I if, like if, last year Paul Goldschmidt was roughly the numbers that we're talking about here. Yeah, I, I would expect more from Nolan Arenado. I, I mean, that, I think that's fair to kind of ask from Nolan Arenado. He's 33. He's getting towards the back end of the prime, but he's not on the down curve like Paul Goldschmidt is. So I, I would say I would like press my luck, and I would say I want to see more from Nolan Arenado. I think so, too. I think it's fair to request and expect more from Arenado. And I think his bounce back is actually more important for the Cardinals than Paul Goldschmidt's bounce back. Now, they need both. If they're going to be a contender, they need they need both of these guys to to be what they closer to what they were two years ago. Because you do have more of the supporting cast members than you did in 2022, for example. Now with Jordan Walker, with Lars Newbar, with Nolan Gorman, with Brendan Donovan all emerging, and with Wilson Contreras now being a part of the roster. But you still got to have the dudes. You look at the best offenses in the sport, they, they've all got guys in the middle of their order that are not just factors that are terrifying. They they impose fear in the opposing team's starting pitcher, and that, that has to be what Nolan Arnato is for you this year. As I look at this list, though, I go through MLB Now's top 10 third baseman in the, in the sport for right now. Here's what it looks like. Top 10 third baseman. According to MLB Network, number one is Austin Riley. Kind of hard to disagree with that. He's amazing. Yeah. Jose Ramirez, number two, I think arguably one of the most underrated players in Major League Baseball for the last decade is Jose Ramirez. He's totally deserving of that spot. Manny Machado, number three. By the way, Jose Ramirez, when all is said and done, is going to have an interesting Hall of Fame argument. Uh, Number four, Rafael Devers. Number five, Alex Bregman. This is where Nolan Arenado was last year, was Alex Bregman's spot on this list. And I think that's where he needs to get to after this upcoming year. Number six, Gunnar Henderson. Number seven, Nolan Arenado. And then number eight, Max Muncie. Number nine, Isaac Paredes. And number 10, Justin Turner, who's going to be a full-time DH this year. So I don't love the fact that he was at number 10, but neither here nor there. I think there's a pretty big divide between like the top four, five to seven, and then the rest of the players on this list. The top four with Riley, Ramirez, Machado, Devers, I think that's indisputable right now. Five to seven, I think, is the right guys in some order or another. Bregman, Henderson, and Arenado. And then, like, Muncie, Pareda, you throw whoever you want to at the back end of, of this list, whoever your favorite third basemen are that aren't named in the top seven. I'm not going to argue with you. Like, sure, fine, go for that. Arenado needs to get back to where he's in the conversation with the top four. Because coming out of 2023, or 2022, I guess, He was, like, in that conversation with Riley, Ramirez, Machado, Devers, and then him putting into that, like, top tier, and then there was a tier break, Bregman and everybody else. That's what Nolan Arenado needs to get back to. I'm not telling you you got to be better than Ramirez, better than Riley, better than Machado, 
be in the conversation. And Tanner, won't a lot of your fears at least be calmed somewhat if Arenado does a better job hitting with runners in scoring positions specifically no. this coming season? No, because last year, I mean, among qualifying hitters, he's in the top 15 in all of baseball as far as leaving runners stranded in those spots. Yeah, I, look, I, I think that the Cardinals struggles with runners in scoring position. We've talked about it. I think a lot of that was, people aren't going to like to hear this, bad luck. I, I don't think there was bad plate approach and bla- bad like at-bats from Nolan Arnato. I think one of the bad best year. run producers in Major League yeah. Baseball for a decade. I don't think he suddenly forgot how to do that. Yeah, so I, I'm not worried about that. I am worried about his all-around offensive numbers because BK is exactly right. For the Cardinals to bounce back, to me, he has to be in that conversation of that top-tier third baseman because last year it was a clearly a drop-off year to where he does belong in tier number two. And we talked about this in the office. If he doesn't have a bounce-back year, and I, I don't think it would be anywhere close to what it was last year, but if, if it is, and this is more of a trend for Nolan Arenado, that is a lot bigger of an issue for the St. Louis Cardinals than it is if Paul Goldschmidt doesn't bounce back. 314. 314- 399-9646 is the air comfort service text line to get involved in the show. Coming up here in just a second, I'll tell you how you can get involved in Can You Beat the Blues? By the way, just to respond on the runners in scoring position thing, Nolan Arnato last year with runners in scoring position hit 260 with a 805 OPS. Nolan Arnato on the season last year hit 265 with a 775 OPS. He was actually better with runners in scoring position than he was with runners not in scoring position last season. So the problem really was that he just wasn't hitting well on the season. Yeah. If you got an 800 OPS with runners in scoring position, you had a pretty decent season. We would accept that for almost anybody not named Nolan Arenado. But for him, he had driven in over the past, you know, seven seasons of his career, 103, 105, 118, 110, 130, 133, 130. So driving in 93 on the season is a complete failure, even though that, is also a really good season by just about anybody not named Nolan Arnado. All right, coming up in the next segment, we are going to give you an opportunity to beat the Blues. The winner today will go home with a signed puck by Kasperi Kapanen and a pair of tickets to see the Blues versus the Islanders at Enterprise Center coming up on February 22nd. The way to do so is 314-399-9646. That is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you text in, I can beat the Blues, and you are texter number 100 to 103 you are going to go up against Kasperi Kapanen and Jordan Bennington in Can You Beat the Blues? We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. It's time for the latest edition of Can You Beat the Blues? Today's contestant is Kasperi Kapanen. If you are new to the game, it is very simple. You will get a category of colors. Name as many different colors as you can, for example, in 15 seconds. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo. Eh, got six. Then you would go up against Kasperi Kapanen. We find out how many he was able to name in 15 seconds. We put those two scores up against one another. Whoever has the best margin of victory, or margin of defeat, if you will, at the end of the game between the three different contestants, we'll be going home today with a signed puck by Kasperi Kapanen and a pair of tickets to Blues versus Islanders at Enterprise Center coming up on February 22nd. Our three contestants today, Alex, Richard, and Kevin, we have all three of them on the line. Congratulations to all three of them for being selected in this very rigorous process of getting on Can You Beat the Blues. We're going to start today with Alex. Alex, appreciate you hopping on, man. How you doing today? Good. How are you? Uh, doing very well. Do you understand the rules of the game, Alex? Yes, sir. All right. So you're going to be going up against Kasperi Kapanen today. Your category, as is for Kasperi Kapanen. 
Name as many different comedy movies as you can in 15 seconds. Name as many different comedies as you can in 15 seconds. On your mark. Get set. Go. Sorry. Hold on. Hold on, Alex. Hold on. We had a false start by T-Bone. This is not on you. Whoa. Whoa. I'm not going to take that. T-Bone, tell me when you're ready. We're going to get as many different comedies from Alex as he can in 15 seconds. All right. Whenever T-Bone is ready. On your mark. Get set. Go. Grown Ups 1, 2, 3. Billy Madison. uh, Happy Gilmore. um, Slapshot 1. Slapshot 2. Mighty Ducks 1. Mighty Ducks 2. Let's see. um, You got nine of them. All right. Alex, we're going to put you on hold. We'll see how that score holds up compared to Kasperi Kapanen. I want to say on the front end here, if Alex wins, there may have to be justice for Richard and Kevin, given what T-Bone just did, which was giving him a solid 30 seconds extra to think of as many comedies as he could. But let's see what Kasperi Kapanen... on over here. I've got like five things glowing. It's a fact. T-Bone, let's hear what Kasperi Kapanen was able to name in this category. Uh, Dumb and Dumber, Step Brother, um, Ace Ventura, uh, Anchorman, uh, Jack and Jill, uh, uh, Grown Ups. Um. I like how Grown Ups was the choice for both of them. That would not be one that immediately comes to mind for I me in this category. This. I'm of, not all, lie. of all movies, Jack and Jill. He ended <laughs> up getting six. <laughs> so that's a plus three for Alex. I am worried about our results here, boys. I, can I make an executive decision right now, T-Bone? You no, tell me what allowed. you think of this. And I, I want to hear from the text line as well. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Given the false start there, do we need to, if there's a tie, or if there's anything close, honestly, <laughs> go with a tiebreaker at the end to see if Alex can beat whoever is close? Or do you feel good about it? Are we okay? Richard, Kevin, just show up and bring your A game. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. Oh, by the way, somebody on the text line said there's no grown-ups three. Is that correct? Correct. Confirmed. So then he's got a plus two. Not yet. Because he said grown-ups one, two, and three. So we're going to give him a plus two because one of those new movies does not exist, Alex. Sorry about that. All right. Let's get to our second contestant. It's Richard. Richard, thanks for calling in. Do you understand the rules of the game, my friend? Yes. Do you feel like T-Bone screwed you on this one? He might have, but we'll make it through it. <laughs> right, that sounds spirit. good. Play like a champion. Richard, you're going up against Kasperi Kapanen today, and your category is superheroes. Can you name as many different superheroes as you can in 15 seconds? T-Bone, are you ready? On your mark. Get set. Go. Superman. Green Lantern. Green Arrow, Hawk, Robin, uh, The Thing. What did you say there at the end? The, the Thing? Yeah. After the buzzer, though. Was it in? Are you counting it? Mm-hmm. I feel like given the situation, we should probably count that Wait, one. Wait, is The Thing a superhero? I don't know. From don't... Fantastic Four? That's not That's not a hero, is it? The it thing? is? Oh, Mark yeah. Ryder, our executive. Most certainly. The Rock Guy? Oh, okay. Yeah. That would be eight. I'll give them to him. So that was what, eight then? Yeah. That is eight. 
That's pretty good. It's a pretty good different, a pretty good little uh, little run there for you, Richard. Let's see if Kasperi Kapanen knows his superheroes. Uh, all the Batman, Spider-Man, um, The Flash, um, Black Adam, Aquaman, um, Wonder Woman. Uh, Alright, I got six for him. That's what I had too. Because I'm not giving him all of the Batmans. Yeah, I don't know. one. If you can name saying? one of them, you can name one. It's like a multiverse? multiverse? Yeah, yeah, exactly. He, he got six, so of course, as we expected. <laughs> He's got a plus two, which means that he is currently tied in the clubhouse alongside Alex. Coming up next, though, we've got Kevin, who's on the line. And I know I can feel it in my bones, Kevin. This is at least a plus three coming for you. I've got one little bit of a disclaimer, though. You're going up against Jordan Bennington today. So it's not going to be easy for you. Kevin, do you understand the rules of the game? And are you ready to beat the Blues? Yes, sir. Let's go, BK. All right, Kevin. Your category today is famous people name as many famous people as you can in 15 seconds on your mark get set go that's a worse than robert and hero uh, phil hartman tim robbins uh ethan hawk um robin williams um oprah uh piggy set I thought he said Piggy something. I was like, was he referring to like Miss Piggy from I, the some, Muppets? Sometimes I love the, the references that people go with here. Like 50 Cent in the year of our Lord 2024 was one of the famous people that we came up with. Kevin, well played there. I appreciate it. Boom. So that was what, eight? That was what we eight. Had him at? I had okay. eight for Kevin on famous people that he can name. All right. Jordan Bennington plus two, uh, has a relationship for better or worse, with at least one famous person in just uh, in Bieber, the Biebs. Let's see how many famous people he can name in 15 seconds. Scarlett Johansson, Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Aniston, um, Ben Affleck, Brad Pitt, Hank Moody, um, Beyonce. I've got seven there, which means... Kevin, you did not beat the Blues. Richard and Alex did, though, which means they are now going into a battle off. We've got a tie, of course, which makes sense given what happened with Alex at the beginning of this thing. So we have got a tiebreaker that we're going to go with. Alex, Richard, I'm going to give both of you 15 seconds to name as many different things as you can within one specific category, all right? Alex, we're going to start with you. You'll go first, and you're going to have 15 seconds to name as many different things as a ca within a category as you can, and then we'll go to Richard for the exact same category. Do you understand? Yes. All right, Richard. Your category today. Wait, wait, wait. Am I going first or not? This is Alex. Excuse me. Alex. Alex, your category today is to name as many different pop singers as you can oh, in 15 seconds, okay? Name as many different pop singers as you can in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Selena Gomez, uh, Jenner, uh, Beyonce, um, uh, da, 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 um, Nicki Minaj, um, um, Cardi B, um, um, we got four we got four that's a, that's a decent that's a decent job there richard you're coming up next 
Richard, your category is going to be name as many different people that have performed at the Super Bowl as you can in 15 seconds. Super Bowl performers in terms of the halftime performers in 15 seconds. On your mark, get set, go. Beyonce, Justin Timberlake, uh, Janet Jackson, Tupac, um, Whitney Houston. Hmm. That's that's four of Tupac did. I don't. I'd have no idea if Tupac was a part of the Super so Bowl. So does, does a hologram count? No. <laughs> So we got three there, which means, Alex, congratulations. You not only beat the Blues, you also beat Richard in a battle off. Congratulations, my friend. You're going home with a signed puck by Kasperi Kapanen and a pair of tickets to see the Blues versus the Islanders at Enterprise Center on February 22nd. Congratulations, my friend. Man, I'm over here sweating. (laughs) (laughs) That was a tough one. You You did very well. Not only did you win, you won with no controversy surrounding it because T-Bone ended up being able to make it right in the end. All right, we get it. T-Bone messed up the beginning. We don't got to throw back to it all the time. Come on, Brandon. T-Bone messed it up, and we ended up making it right. That segment is brought to you by Comfort Experts, your independent American standard heating and air conditioning dealer. Next week, I think we're going to be able to get this thing off with zero issues whatsoever. No issues whatsoever. It's going to go swimmingly. There's going to be no problems whatsoever. All right, coming up next, we're going to play a game of Tinder Thursday here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. All right, so let's be honest. We might have messed up Can You Beat the Blues today, but we're not going to mess up Tinder Thursday because this is a staple. It's very simple. Hard to mess this one up. Alex always gets it wrong, which means we're going to get it right this week. Swipe right if you're in. Swipe left if you're out. Bradford, you're familiar with the way the tender works, right? BK, I've never been on the service. <laughs> sure, right. sure, we got sure. it lucky. Okay. Swipe right if you like it. Swipe left if you do not. Our tender Thursday this week is going to be with the category of, if you could sign up for these current paces for the St. Louis Blues, would you accept it? Right is an accept. Left is a reject. That is the way this game works. Robert Thomas currently on pace, guys, for 28 goals and 87 points with a plus 25 rating when he's on the ice. So when he's on the ice, the Blues are on pace to outscore the opposition by 25 goals at even strength this season. T-Bone, if you could go ahead and have that in the bag today, you hit a button and you lock it in. Are you swiping right? Oh, I'm swiping right, baby. That That is the number one sentiment that the Blues were looking for in terms of the offensive production. Defensively, I don't care what the defensive metrics are. I don't really care what the plus minus is. Huh. The reason he's a plus 25 is because he's putting up 87 points. So absolutely, I would swipe right. I'm going to get this right. I am swiping right as well. And I've learned my lesson from earlier in the hour. I'm not going to award him the silky honor just yet, but I love what he is doing as far as seeing that game offensively continue to ascend, to grow, and the responsibilities all over the ice. Lock me in for this right now. So I'm obviously swiping right. In fact, Super swipe! I love it. Uh, Yes, absolutely, you would go ahead and throw this in. The forwards that have had this kind of a season at Robert Thomas's age, so guys that had at least 25 goals, 
put together at least 85 points and had a plus 25 or better on the ice at the age of 24 or younger in the last 20 years. I know that's a lot there, but the guys that basically matched what Robert Thomas is doing in 2024. Jason Robertson, Kirill Kaprizov, Matthew Kachuk, Braden Point, McDavid, Ovechkin, Backstrom, Parise, and Jason Spezza. Those are the kinds of players that Robert Thomas is supposed to be compared to. At this point in his career, you want him in that kind of a conversation. Every single one of those players went on to become a star in the NHL. If Robert Thomas finishes the season with this kind of production, we're going to be talking about him in the same kind of way. All right, we'll go through the rest of these a little quicker. Pavel Buchnevich, are you swiping right to accept it or left to reject it? 28 goals, 65 points. That is his current pace for the NHL's regular season. I think I would swipe right on this one um, because that would put him kind of right in the line where he was last year. Now, granted, he wasn't healthy last year with 67 points in 63 games, but I think I would still sign up for this. I, I would say I would swipe right on 28 goals and 65 points. Swipe right as well. He got off to an exceedingly slow start point production-wise this year. Guys, just one point through the first seven games has been markedly better December and January. Give it to me. I'll swipe right, but I'm doing so hesitantly, man. I, I did too. I would like to see more than this from Pavel Buchnevich. If this is who he is in the future, I'll be disappointed by it. But for this season, given how slow, to your point, Bradford, it was getting started for him, I, I would begrudgingly swipe to the right. Now, the next one I think is going to be an interesting one. Jordan Cairo on pace right now for 23 goals and 60 po 62 points on the season. T-Bone, are you swiping right to accept or left to reject? I, I would swipe left to reject. I, I think there needs to be more from Jordan Cairo. I mean, he scored 37 goals last year. Now, granted, that came with a minus 38, so the plus-minus number is a little bit better. 62 points, that's lower than it was last year. I think you need more from Jordan Cairo. So I, I would swipe left. If those are the numbers at the end of the year. It's a little disappointing. If any real goal scorer on this team has faded a bit since that new coach bump, I believe it's been Jordan Cairo. In order for this team to make waves and really qualify for or be in the mix for a playoff spot, I think you have to get more. You have to get closer to that 30 mark. For me, I'm going left too. It's a failure. It's an absolute categorical failure if he finishes with fewer than 25 goals on the season, and there's no other way to put it. He's too bad defensively to be able to make up for the fact that he's scoring this little. Yeah. So I, I'm swiping left. There is no doubt about it. Next one up, Braden Shin, 22 goals, 42, 45 points on the season. Now, there is a slight amendment to this. He's on pace to be a minus 28 left. on the ice. But if I put that to the side and I said 22 goals, 45 points, swipe right to accept or left to reject for Braden Shin on the year. T-Bone? I'm just supposed to ignore the fact he's on the ice for a Let's lot of goals. Let's set that aside for a moment. 22 goals, 45 points. You taking that at this point in Braden Shin's career? Uh, no, I'm swiping the left. I, you want to talk about a failure. I, I think that's a failure. I, I think Braden Shin will tell you that's a failure. He needs to be in that 60-point threshold right around it. So him being at... 45, that's disappointing. Swipe left. Tanner, to your point, he had 65 points last season when, to wit, he also compiled a minus 27 plus minus rating. He Oof. has so much ground to make up left in a landslide for me. All right, next one up, because I'm obviously swiping left as well. Nobody would want that. Uh, Kevin Hayes, 17 goals, 35 points. That is his current pace for the Blues this season at the All-Star break. We're playing a game of Tinder Thursday with the Blues based on their current pace, where they are today, where that projects them to be at the end of the season. Kevin Hayes, current pace, 17 goals, 35 points. 
T-Bone, are you swiping right to accept or left to reject? So I think a lot of people would look at his 54 points last year and go, this is a swipe left. I would say this is a swipe right. I agree. Because I think that's more of his career norm. Last year, somebody had to get points on the Flyers. It happened to be Kevin Hayes. So I would say this is what I was expecting when the Blues acquired him as their third-line center. So I would say swipe right on this. Realistically speaking, given the personnel Hayes is playing with at present, you would imagine he's going to stick in that particular role throughout the rest of the season. I, too, I'm satisfied with this. I think he's given you exactly what you've expected as far as the veteran presence there. He's chipping in offensively on any given night. This is who he is. Kevin Hayes is making 3.5 million bucks this year for the St. Louis Blues. This is what you expect from a $3.5 million center. If you can get 17 goals out of that guy and he's basically a net neutral when he's on the ice right now, he's a minus three on the season. I would have signed up for that in a heartbeat. My, My concern going into the year was that Last year was the outlier in like a more significant way, and he was going to get back to being the player that he was in Philly the previous two seasons, where it was 12 and 10 goals and 30 points each of those two seasons with a minus 20 on the ice each of the past two years. Uh, That would be a massive problem for the St. Louis Blues. But what he's actually been, third-line center, he's totally fine in basically every situation. I've got no issues with what Kevin Hayes has been for the Blues this year. I'd swipe right. I would accept this for 17 goals and 35 points on the year. And I would say, looking at his linemates, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Because he doesn't have winger. They don't have a third-line winger for both the right and left. He's playing with two fourth-liners. Yeah, so it's pretty impressive that he's doing that. All right, next one up is Brandon Saad. This is going to be an interesting one. Swipe right if you accept, left if you reject. 22 goals and 35 points on the year. That is his current pace, T-Bone. 22 goals, 35 points. Right to accept, left to reject. So I would say swipe right on this because 22 goals, I, I think that's what you want from Saad is to be a 20-goal scorer. I, I know like 35 points isn't a lot for a guy that's playing on the second line, but let's just be honest. He's on the second line because he's on a retooling team. He should be a third-line winger. So I, I'll say swipe right. I, I would take... 22 goals from Brandon Saad. I'm swiping left on this one, and not because I think that he's going to approach what he had point production-wise in his first season here, 21-22. He had 49 points. No, he's not going to get to that territory, but rather, when you are on pace as well, line mates notwithstanding, for a career worst plus-minus percentage, I think there's a bit more to give. I think you have to get a bit more from him moving forward. What's the comparison for Brandon Saad in terms of, like, baseball players? The guy that is every year incredibly mediocre, but is like 5% above league average offensively. Hits 15 to 20 home runs every year. You know exactly what he's going to bring for you. Like, can play a capable outfield, but isn't going to be somebody that is super impressive out there. Like, you know who he might be, honestly? It might be like an A. Eugenio Suarez at this point in his career, of what he's become, not what he was early on where he hit 50 home runs. Like, you kind of know what he's going to be. He's going to hit you 25 to 30 home runs. He's going to strike out a lot, and he's going to be slightly above league average offensively. Below average defensively, but he's, yeah. he's a fine player, and he's going to change teams probably at this point like every other season in his career. <laughs> I think that's who Brandon Saad is. Brandon Saad's going to do the equivalent in hockey of what a home run is in Major League Baseball, which is get you to 20 goals. His career recently, 24, 18, 23, 21, 15 in a 45-game season. 24, 19, 13 so far this year, but on pace for 22 goals. This is Brandon Saad, man. I'm swiping right to accept because this is who he is. It's going to leave you probably wanting a little bit more because when they signed him, I remember the conversations of how he's a winner. He's a 200-foot player. He's really not. He was on winning teams, and I I do think he can be a contributing member of a winning hockey club. Like, if, 
Yeah, agreed. Uh, if a contender wanted to trade for Brandon Saad, I wouldn't blame them. I think he can help a winning winning team. But you don't bring him in to be somebody that is like this great shutdown defensive player. You get you bring him in because you know you can write in pen 15 to 25 goals at some point over the course of that season. That's just who Brandon Saad has been in his career. So I'm accepting this. And then the final one here, Jake Neighbors. Swipe right to accept, left to reject. 25 goals and 32 points this season. I'm swiping right. I I didn't know what expectations were for Jake Neighbors, but in a rookie year, first time like a full season at the NHL level to score 25 goals. Look, we'll work on the passing in the in the off season. I, I would accept this because I didn't think he had 20 goal potential. I thought he'd be more of like a 10 to 13 goal scorer and he's on pace for 25 absolutely i would swipe right on this i'm progressing right as well he's i think exceeded your wildest expectations as far as what he's been able to do offensively this season now the goal scoring it has leveled off somewhat i think you anticipated that he has potted just six goals since back on november the 30th so that has leveled off but if you're telling me you can get 10 more from him this season in this season absolutely i'm taking that every time so Somebody on the text line, by the way, had a great comparison for Brandon Sod in Major League Baseball. They said it's Eddie Rosario, which is perfect. It is absolutely perfect. Like a super average player in every sense of the word, but you know exactly who he's going to be for you. And he is representative of those numbers every single season. That is a perfect example of what Brandon Saad is. And he helps contenders. Like, he's on that's Atlanta. That's what I was going to say. He's, a, he's viewed as a winner because he shows up in the postseason. Exactly. So that's that's a perfect example of what Brandon Saad has been for the St. Louis or for the St. Louis Blues. You, you put him in your lineup, you know what you're getting out of him, and you just don't worry about it. You set it and forget it. For the Jake Neighbors numbers, 25 goals, 32 points, would I like a few more passes? Sure. I don't care, though. Go in front of the net, Put the puck in the back of the net. That's what I'm asking you to be. That's who he's been. He does the thing that Jamie always talks about on the fast lane, which is, hey, they're giving you the answers to the test. You just got to go out there and and take the test and put those answers on on the sheet. Neighbors is doing that. Maybe better than anybody on the roster right now. So I would run to the bank with this. Definitely swiping to the right. It's interesting that we accepted five of the seven players that I put out there. Because these are significant pieces, and we're talking about how the offense is like underwhelming us relative to expectations this year. It's really we're talking about Jordan Cairo and Braden Chin that are underwhelming yeah. and, relative to expectations. And, and I think it also shows, and I think I said this for the Hayes one, and I think for Sad as well. It, it shows you got guys playing in roles that they're in that spot because it's a team that's in a retool. It, yep. It's not. It's not because they're a contender like Sad should be a third-line winger. He should be the guy that is with Kevin Hayes, but he's not. Why? Because they don't have a second-line winger, so they have to bump up Saad's role. And I, I think the same can be said for Kairou. Uh, Kairou probably more of a second-line winger at this point, but he has to play on the top line because they need to see if he can be a top-line winger. That is Tanner Hendrickson. He is Bradford Bruns, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, why aren't the Cardinals viewing this as a golden opportunity? I'm not referencing what you probably think that I am. We'll get into what it is coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Tanner has a story for us in the junk drawer coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. T-Bone, what do you have 
for us today in the junk drawer. All right, you like to go to movie theaters, right? And sure. Watch some movies. Well, a group of 40 people said, you know what? Let's go watch The Holdovers, a new newer movie. It's getting pretty good uh, critical acclaim. And so they go to the movie theater. They watch the movie. Movie's Screener. over. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're like, all right, movie's over. Let's get out of here. They go to the door. Well, the door's locked. And the staff has left the building. <laughs> 40, 40 people went to a showing of the movie The Holdovers. And the staff closed the theater and completely forgot that they were in there. How long were they in there? It does not say how long they were in there. I would assume that it probably was not very long because I would assume at some point people start to make some phone calls sure. and they get them out. I, I, It's not the worst place in the world to get locked in for an extended period of time. But I can't even imagine. And I don't even know how that process happens because, you know, they go in and clean the theater afterwards. That's well, it was probably somebody that happens. had a newborn recently and was sleep deprived. And oh my God, was this you? I, for example, if maybe you forget your keys in your car while it's on and you go into Home Depot and you walk out and you realize I don't have my keys on me. They are in my car. Oh, no, it is still running like that. That could happen. Maybe you lose your keys at home and they're just under an envelope. Like, stuff happens. When did this Home Depot thing happen? Did I not tell that story on the air? No. That's the first I've heard of it. Oh, really? Really? This was, <laughs> this was about three weeks after Luca was born. I go to Home Depot. We need to get some paint for, I think it was, like, downstairs or whatever. And I'm, like, moseying around at, at Home Depot, kind of walking around, going up and down the aisles, up and down the aisles, because it's my first time getting out of the house in a minute. So I get out of the store. I'm taking my cart back to my car and you know how like i always keep my my keys i'm sure you've got a spot right somewhere in your pocket everybody keeps them in the same spot every time they go my keys are always in my front pocket right side so i do the check for the keys and realize uh oh keys aren't there this time where the hell are my keys Worst and, and my immediate thought is oh no did i like drop them somewhere inside yeah are they in Home Depot? God only knows where, because I just spent my entire afternoon walking up and down the lanes. So I start like, at this point, oh no, where could they possibly be? And so I think to myself, did I turn the car off? Did I get the key? Did I leave them in the car with it off? Is it, are they locked now? Am I going to have to call AAA to help me like unlock my car in the parking lot of Home Depot? So now I'm sprinting back to my car with the cart through the Home Depot parking lot. And I see my car just sitting there. It's got the headlights on, ready to go, just wait for me. Thank God I'm just in, you know, good old St. Charles. Nobody had decided, hey, I'm going to go ahead and take this car that's sitting here for me. Um, but yeah, I had left my car running while I was in Home Depot walking around for the stuff that I needed inside. So this stuff like this happens, man. It happens. Not locking them in a theater. Like the car key one, I can understand. What time was the showing? Well, I mean, it had to be late if they're closing the theater. That's the part I don't understand is like you have to go clean the theater. Unless it was probably, I'm, I'm assuming it was probably like part-time high school kids working at a movie theater. Sure. They said, we'll do it when we get in tomorrow. Or well, hell, we'll save it for the morning crew. And they, they just left. But like, I can't even picture that because like, you would hear the credits rolling, you know, because typically everybody gets up and leaves the moment the credits come on. Unless you're at a Marvel movie, you stick around. But <laughs> I would assume that the hangover or uh, this movie does not have it. The holdovers, uh, excuse, excuse me. So I would assume there's no like end credit scene there. And so I would expect everybody like gets up with the credits roll. 
you, you have to hear that still playing in the movie theater. Those are loud. I, I don't know how this happens. This one is inexcusable. That's when people used to attend Marvel movies, though. Am I right? Am I right? Hey, but hey you just want to no, give the fans no, here I, more time to ponder Paul Giamatti's award-winning performance. That's what it is. No. Somebody on the text line from the 314 said, BK, the story is a sign that you probably need to upgrade the car. Another person said, I left my car running for an entire blues game oh. during a December game one time. Well, at least the car was warm when he got it back out Ooh, there. Oh, buddy. That's rough. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we'll get into T-Bone's favorite game of the week. It is called Believe It or Not. 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line. If you've got a scenario, we'll tell you if we are believing it or not coming up in about 15 minutes. But next, why aren't the Cardinals viewing this as a golden opportunity as opposed to viewing it as something that is a problem for them. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Major League Baseball offseason is what's taking place with the regional sports networks. And of course, the backdrop to all of this is Diamond Sports, otherwise known as Bally Sports, filing for bankruptcy last year. And Tanner, a lot of Major League Baseball teams have used that as an excuse to not go out and spend money this offseason. The Texas Rangers, for example, have done very little this offseason. Jordan Montgomery still out there. They, they could really use him early in the season. And they haven't really made any overtures. And part of that is because they are concerned about what their RSN situation is going to be. The Minnesota Twins are shedding payroll left and right. Seattle Mariners, same things going on there. There's a lot of teams that are using this as a uh, essentially a coverall for, hey, we, we can't spend. Look, look at the RSN situation. Well, there was an update on all of this from Evan Drellick of The Athletic yesterday and I thought it was really interesting, specifically as it pertains to where the Cardinals are at with the Diamond Sports slash Bally Sports situation. And Tanner, my read on this was, man, all of this could actually be a really great situation for the Cardinals if they allow it to be. But they have to take an opportunity and run with it. Here's what Evan Drellick wrote yesterday in his piece. Diamond is likely to have 12 teams linear rights, which means the broadcast television rights. When you go to your DirecTV or charter cable, whatever it is that you have, uh, your Bally Sports Midwest channel, that's the linear rights. But only five teams digital rights this season. They do not have the Cardinals rights technically for the Bally Sports app or to put it on Amazon Prime, that kind of stuff. The Cardinals would have to give them the ability to put that over the air for Amazon Prime. They, they have those rights, technically. The Cardinals own that. Evan Drella continues. So the Cardinals, for example, would not be newly included into any streaming package for Diamond via Prime unless a new arrangement is reached. But Major League Baseball, which has had a highly contentious relationship with Diamond, is unlikely to grant new rights to Diamond itself MLB would likely be would be more likely to grant digital rights to Amazon or a similar type of service directly, and the league has had an eye on creating some sort of national package to bundle multiple teams, presum presumably without Diamond as a middleman. So to sum all of this up, Amazon Prime is coming in and essentially bailing out Bally Sports Midwest. 
and Valley Sports in general. We don't know how long that's going to last. We don't know if this is a long-term solution, but it is at least a 2024 solution and potentially beyond. And what Amazon appears to be looking for is, hey, we want those streaming rights, dude. We, we want to be able to put Major League Baseball on Amazon the way MLS is on Apple TV. This is not going to be a you get Amazon Prime and therefore you are able to access all of these baseball games. You would have to subscribe the same way that you do with like MLS season pass, but for your team through this subscription process. Tanner, I think this could be a great deal for the Cardinals. This is a potential situation where instead of having to do all of this alone, instead of having to develop an app, instead of having to develop all of the like producers and all of the behind the scenes things, you could pass this off to Amazon, which knows exactly what to do, has this massive technology database center all ready to go for you. And you just say, you know what? Amazon, you guys take care of this. We are going to negotiate a rights deal with Amazon Prime that the St. Louis Cardinals, as an entity, if you are in our viewing area, you can watch Cardinals games through Amazon Prime with this specific package. I've seen what they can do with the NFL now. I know they're capable of producing these kinds of games. They've done it on the highest level with a sport that has even more eyes than what we have as the St. Louis Cardinals. So that's not really much of a concern for us. And you know Amazon's not going anywhere. This is the perfect type of business to be able to tie yourself with. So it, they certainly have more information on this than any of us in this room do. But if I'm building with a third, if I'm the new guy that they just hired yesterday to be in, in charge of the broadcasts and the, the business rights deals in general, this feels like a great opportunity, a golden opportunity where the Cardinals were just basically gifted something in their laps of, hey, Bally doesn't have your rights yet. Amazon is coming in to bail out Bally. Here is your opportunity to go ahead and do what you've been trying to do for years and you've been looking for, which is here. Here's our streaming rights. Go ahead and make with it what you will. We're going to try to make money off of this. This is a new revenue stream for the St. Louis Cardinals. T-Bone, from what you understand about this, what am I missing? I, I don't. I think you're spot on. I, I When the news was first reported, whatever it was, two, three weeks ago of this deal, I, I even asked Evan Drelk when we had him on, I was like, this feels like a major win for owners because you're getting certainty with a TV partner Based on my understanding, the contract for like the not the rights, but the what you get on like you know Fubo Directv Charter, that contract just continues to roll over. It is not a year by year basis. I think the Cardinals deal runs through twenty thirty three, if I'm not mistaken. So there's clarity, and that dollar figure stays there, is my understanding. You also get to sell your streaming rights to Amazon, so you actually get to bring in more money. And even if you did want to run your own stream, if you're the St. Louis Cardinals. They clearly don't have a clear, like, cut plan yet as to, like, hey, this is what we're going to do. They laid out, basically, I think it was three options at winter warm-up, so they don't have a clear plan. And this would fall into one of those options, by the way, is passing it off to somebody else that's a third party. I I think this is the best-case scenario because you get to keep the current TV contract, you get to sell your streaming rights, and you get to see how Amazon does it. You can basically watch how Amazon would run these broadcasts, how they try to sell it, how they're going to try and make money off of it, and you go... Okay, let, let's let's keep an eye on this because when the deal comes up, whenever it is, twenty thirty three, let's say, you can go. Okay, now we saw what Amazon did right. We saw what Amazon did wrong. 
we're going to take our own streaming rights, and now we're going to do it ourselves. Yep. I, I think this is – I was shocked, like – and look, I understood that MLB needed to look this over. I thought they'd be popping champagne the day that this news broke because I was like, this sounds fantastic for all these teams. And if there's any company that Major League Baseball should want to be associated exactly. with, it's Amazon because you know they're not going anywhere. This is a highly profitable company that, like, they could just invest in this as a, a, a separate piece. Like, it could be a loss leader. This could be something where Amazon is saying to itself, hey— like, listen, we're losing money on baseball, but it's something that's good for us to be a part of, and we understand that, and it it grows our exposure in a way that is necessary for us to just, like, keep going as a company. They, they want to have their arm in as many different things as possible. Like, uh, Jeff Bezos is, like, involved with the Washington Post. You think he's making money off of that? No, of course. He's, he's losing – he's hemorrhaging money on it, but he thinks it's important, and so he continues to invest in it. I don't want to get into that because there's some political stuff there. Like, we'll talk about that a different day. But <laughs> – We'll do that on our politics podcast that we're oh, running. Uh, I can't wait. On, on, the, on the Cardinal side of things, somebody on the text line said, guys, why don't we talk about what is good for the fans and not what's good for the Cardinals? I think this is also good for fans. This is not a shot at anybody at Bally. I want to make this clear because there's a lot of really good people that work, especially at Bally Sports Midwest here in St. Louis. The Bally Sports app is terrible, man. Yeah. I don't know how often you guys have tried to use this, but it crashes on me all the time. If I'm watching Blues games, Cardinals games, etc., it like reshuffles and then it goes back to like a piece of the game that I've already watched, and then I have to find. A lot. It, it's it's horrendous. It's really bad. It's what the ESPN app used to be. The ESPN app used to be awful to use. Now they fixed that, and all the bugs are gone now. And typically, it works really well for me as I'm using it on my phone. But you know what? I have never had a problem with watching Thursday night football on Amazon. Not a single issue. It doesn't rebuffer. It doesn't skip back. I don't have problems with volume or any. Like, it's just always worked. And so if you're the Cardinals and you're trying to partner with somebody of, okay, can we make sure that this is a good product for our fan? That's a better product than what you currently have available to you to stream the Cardinals games. The other thing with this, if you're thinking about as a fan, is this going to be good for us? I think the Cardinals only make this deal and Major League Baseball only makes this deal after the local blackouts are eliminated. Yeah. And so for you as a fan, if you're frustrated by the local blackouts that take place, you should be, first of all. It's one of the worst rules in all of professional sports. I think that will also be eliminated, which is another strike in favor of the fans. This has a chance to be a real win-win for fans, for the organization, for Amazon, for, for everybody involved. Hell, for Bally, who gets bailed out by the fact that Amazon apparently wanted to be involved in local rights deals... If this ends up being something that works, and I don't know if it will or won't, there's a lot of legal stuff that has to play out that is way over my head and way over most people's heads before we get to a place where this is actually like happening. But stuff seems to be trending in the right direction. And if Amazon really does want to do this, I, I think this is the perfect opportunity for the Cardinals to partner with Amazon as their streaming partner for the future and if and when that happens, it's hard for me to sit back here and be like, yeah, the Cardinals, it makes total sense that they're concerned about their future with the rights deal. The only thing that's concerning is the same thing that's concerning for everybody, which is like, what's the future of linear television? And dude, if you've got the answer to that, like step forward, you're a billion dollar man because that is what everybody's wondering about. So um, the, the Cardinals are quietly in a pretty good situation right now if all of this ends up going through and sounds like the answers for this should be coming at some point in the next month or two so fingers crossed hopefully next offseason the cardinals at least don't have the excuse 
explanation, yeah. excuse, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to call it excuse of not being more aggressive because of their pending questions with the Bally Sports situation. All right, coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Kirk Cousins is a free agent this offseason. He could sign with any team that he wants to. How many teams, if they signed Kirk Cousins this offseason, would be a Super Bowl contender in 2024 with him at the helm? We'll get into that coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Believe it or not, it's coming up next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, sing it, boys. <laughs> Believe it or not. I'm walking on air. I never thought I could feel so free. Flying away on a wing and a prayer. Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just me. Oh, that one's for is the air comfort service excellent. I don't know that good would be the word that I would use to describe that, but it works. No, uh, Alex, Alex is playing a game ever. of believe it or not. You give us a scenario. We'll tell you if we are believing it or not here on 101 ESPN. All right, T-Bone, let's start out with this one. This is going to be a uh, Super Bowl version of Believe It or Not. Believe it or not, I saw this earlier today. There was somebody that said the Super Bowl is going to be a high-scoring game. It's going to be an offensive-driven affair. Believe it or not, the Super Bowl will finish with at least 55 points scored. 55? Oh, my. All right, let's see. That would be like, what, 27 points in theory, like by yeah, like everybody? 30, 27, 28, 35, something like that. Um, I'm going to say no, and I actually think it's a problem for the Chiefs if it's if it's that high a scoring. I, I think the Chiefs kind of slow down the 49ers a little bit. I think the Chiefs are not going to look for those big plays, and I think when I think high-scoring game, you need really big plays to kind of initiate that. I will say not. I, I don't think it's going to be that high scoring. I, I, I don't even know what the over-under is set at at that game, but I I, I think it's going to be pretty low scoring, like 2017 is kind of what over I'm thinking. Over-under set at 47 and a half. 27. Oh, I mean, that, oh, that's way under with what I said. I, I would take the under in the game, so I, I don't, I'm not believing that. Boy, that's a big number. I don't know if I can go into the mid-50s, slightly below that. I could see low 50s. Okay, that's fine, but no, I can't believe this one, even though so many of the majority of the offensive playmakers, both sides of the ball, both sides of the ball are going to be healthy. I just can't buy that. Not Do quite. the 49ers have a significantly better offense than the following teams? You say yes or no as I go along here. The Detroit Lions significantly better no yes oh oh well yeah i'd say yes i think their offense overall yes the miami dolphins mm, no no nope. uh the buffalo bills no the baltimore ravens no as i saw all of those teams scored 27 or fewer points again or excuse me 24 or fewer points against the kansas city chiefs uh-huh. all of them every single one of them they played all of those teams this year they scored 21 14 20 24 10 against this chiefs defense I'm not believing this. At every step, this Chiefs defense has been disrespected this season, especially this postseason. I don't understand it. What do they need to do to prove to people that they are the second or best defense in the NFL this year? Win without Mahomes, that would prove it. I guess so, right? Like, I I don't get it. They held Lamar Jackson, the MVP, to 10 points last week, and we will get to next week, and I can promise you this is going to happen. Like, I think the whole... Georgia was disrespected last year. That's nonsense. No, everybody believed Georgia was going to win the national championship. Yeah. Typically, I will push back against the, like, nobody believed in this mantra. Nobody believed in this Chiefs team. 
and nobody believes in this Chiefs defense right now to be able to stop the 49ers. It is crazy to me. I, I don't understand it. I, I think the whole reason is it's because Patrick Mahomes. Like, we talk about, like, the Chiefs win against uh, Baltimore. That defense held Baltimore to three points in the final three quarters. But yet, we left that game going, man, Patrick Mahomes was awesome. <laughs> great. And Patrick Mahomes just picked them apart. Even though his numbers weren't great, he picked them apart. That's why. It's the same as like those some of those Tom Brady's teams, why'd they win? Because they had a really good defense. But we all look at it and go, man, they had the GOAT in Tom Brady. Aside from Chris Jones, is it because there just aren't enough bona fide star players yet, BK? National are. perception. No, national perception. I, I, see, I, I, I would guess. I would say like Jones, and that would be like the only guy I would say is a star. He's the draw unless you're really oh, paying close attention. Yeah. I mean, Legereus Sneed was arguably the best corner in the NFL this season. I don't and, disagree. And Trent McDuffie was literally an all-pro. How many picks did Reed have? Or Legereus Sneed, sorry. He didn't have a ton of interceptions. There you but go. Like, <laughs> like, I, like, as a guy that watches football and is more, like, I'm a, I'm a Rams fan, but then outside of that, I'm more casual. Legereus Sneed allowed his first touchdown of the season in the playoffs. Yeah, like, I, that's a stat I don't see pop up on my that's Twitter feed. That's crazy. He allowed zero touchdowns this year, opposing wide receivers. And he, he blanketed number one receivers all season long. Opposing wide receivers caught 51% of their passes this season when targeted by Legereus Need for 470 yards. That's those are bonkers numbers. I yeah, I mean they've got stars all over it. Quarterbacks had a 55 quarterback rating when targeting Legereus Need. Just 55. Windy in Kansas City. Yeah, okay. Uh, T-Bone, what do you got for us for believe it or not? Believe it or not, a Cardinals player will finish either top five in MVP voting or in the Cy Young a conversation this year. Ooh, top five MVP voting this year. I, I'm going to say not. Did they have anybody in 2013 that finished in the top five of MVP voting? Uh, Mark Mayett. No, surely not, actually. Top I, five? Uh, I know Yachty had a really good season that year. I don't think he finished top five in MVP voting, but I would have to go back to look. But that would be the offense that I'm comparing this to. So I'll say not. I'll say not. I'm going to say Yachty was third in MVP voting that year. But Yachty also had an unbelievable defense to go along with it, and I don't know that they have that this year. Yeah, I can remember if he did or Beltran had a great year, but he didn't even get Carpenter was also fourth. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to believe it. (laughs) (laughs) I was say, I thought Carp had a really good year in 2013. Uh, I I will not believe it um, because I think Goldie does have a bounce back, but it's not at the 2022 level. I think Arnado has a bounce back. I don't think it's at the 2022 level. And then I don't know if you have another guy that would get MVP votes to get into the top five. And then Cy Young, like I, I mentioned that one as well. There's only one guy that could do that, and that's Sonny Gray. And I just don't know if it's fair to have the expectation of him to Before be back in the conversation. Before you go on this, Bradford, how, how would you rank the Cardinals' most likely MVP candidates this season? Oh, like the top five from their lineup. I would go, all right, I would go, I think, Arnado one. I would go Goldie two. Oh man, and then I would probably go Walker three, Gorman four. Oh god, who's five? Um, it's either Newfar or Contreras would be five, but I, I think that would be kind of my ranking. I would go Arenado one, Goldie two, because those guys have shown it. They've done it. Like they've got the name recognition. Sometimes that stuff really matters a lot. I think I might go Lars Nupar three because he's got the all around. He he now has name recognition, by the way. He's got a, a, he's a good defender. He's going to have some value on the bases. 
he does all of the things that analytical darlings are going to be looking for. Like he gets on base, he's, he hits the ball really hard. So he'll have all of those metrics that are behind him. And if he finishes with like 25 to 30 home runs on a good Cardinals team, you could see how he ends up getting in the conversation. So I'll go Newt Bar three, and then I would be with you. I think I would go Jordan Walker as four. And I, man, what's the comparison for somebody like Nolan Gorman being fifth? Fit, like that, top, like top five in MVP voting. I don't know if there is one because I was just looking up like what's the highest Schwarber's finished, and honestly, I'm. I guess it makes sense, but he's finished six. He's finished 16th in MVP voting in 2022, 19th in MVP, MVP voting last year. Yeah, it's it's hard to win an MVP with his profile. It would be what, what, a, what I would say. What did uh, Chris Davis do? He had oh, to oh, finish MVP voting. I, I don't know that the voting conglomerate is the same, though, because that was like a pure home run hitting. He, he Oh, well, damn, he hit for average for a year. Yeah. Uh, he hit. He finished third in 2013, but he hit 286 with 53 home runs and 138 like, RBIs. I, I think Nolan Gorman would have to do the next year what Matt Olson did last year, which is hit 54 home runs and 140 RBIs. Ooh. And if you do that, you could get into the top five of MVP, MVP voting, but it, it takes a season like that to win without having like a really high on base percentage and yeah. plus defense at second base. Yeah. I, but I think and no right. base running. You have you have no value on the bases either with Nolan Gorman. So I, I would say fifth might be Brendan Donovan. Honestly. Yeah, I just don't know if he'll be able to put up like gaudy numbers. And when I say gaudy, I think home runs get included into that. And that's why like I would be hesitant to put him on there. That's why like if Ben Zobrist in 2009 finished eighth in the MVP voting. That how would be how many the, home runs he hit. Uh, he hit 27 that year, and I think that's that's the path. Yeah, he'd have to get close to 30. Yeah, okay, I guess I could see that one. All right, you convinced me. Oh, I, good job. I agree with you guys. Arnado and Goldschmidt providing that one-two punch, absolutely. But Tanner. I do think that while, in my opinion, Walker is poised to really make that leap into superstardom, it's going to take another year for the voters to take recognition. Newbar seeming maybe a little more likely. And then after that, as we've stated, just such a big, big cliff before you drop down to some of the other individuals. Guys, believe it or not, new Washington head coach Dan Quinn will have the commanders back in the NFC playoffs in the next two years. All of this comes down to the quarterback that they draft. Sure. So much of it does. Um, but I'm going to say not. I think this is a long-term rebuild. I, I think they are going into a situation right now like, man, it's a actually decent situation for the quarterback if they can figure out the offensive line, but they do have some free agents. Like Curtis Samuel is a free agent this offseason. I'm going to say not. It, it's such a that, – that defense is going to be horrible. They don't have any edge rushers now. They traded both of them at the deadline this year. They don't really have corners. Like <laughs> – so you need to build edge rushers, offensive tackles, cornerbacks. You got to get the quarterback in place. And oh, by the way, all of this has to together, come together culture-wise, scheme. You know, I, not, next two years now. I'm yeah, I, I'm not believing it either because I, I, it's going to be tough, A, for the quarterback to develop. He's got to get the right OC to help him with that. And like you said, their defense is a mess after trading away Chase Young in sweat. So I, I'm not going to believe it. Best case is probably like year three. Maybe they get in with Dan Quinn. I do look to the East. Could be topsy-turvy in 2025. Philadelphia, Dallas, you just never know. But yeah, that's a tough one. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 314. Guys, believe it or not, after the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, Kelsey will propose to Taylor on the field. Not. Don't don't fall for the sucker bet, which are out there. Oh, is this out there? Yeah, there are. I think it's like plus one thousand odds that he proposes oh, on the do field. That. No, you got, you do got, not listen to BK. Throw a twenty dollar bet on that. No. Well, understand that you're probably lighting your money on fire. But if it happens and you don't have a bet on it, 
You're gonna you're gonna no, wish you did. No, don't. You're gonna wish you did. Go bet on the Gatorade color that gets poured on the head coach. Uh, not believe this. I, I don't think he'll do it on the field. He's not ready. I, I well, I, I don't <laughs> think he wants it to be like a big public. Uh, what would you call it? Spectacle. Skeptical. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they kept that relationship for the most part until mm-hmm. when she was on the field for the championship. In all seriousness, T Bone's actually right on this. Like, Kelsey doesn't talk publicly about yeah. um, about uh, about Taylor Swift. Like, when was the last comment that you heard from either of them in the public? The only time I've seen when it. Not, when not asked specifically about the other, they just, like, bring it up and they're flaunting yeah. it. They, they don't. The only time I've seen it was on his podcast. His brother, they had a photo of something. And he, and they show that Taylor Swift liked the photo from the Chiefs. Yeah, other than that, that's the only time I've seen him comment about the relationship. And same with Taylor. So I would say no. Don't light your money on fire like BK suggests. I'm not going to believe this. All right, 314-399-9646 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Believe It or Not. We'll get a couple of these here in on the text line. Guys, believe it or not, by the end of the 2024 season, the Cardinals will have an MVP candidate, a Rookie of the Year candidate, and multiple Gold Glove winners. MVP, Rookie of the Year, and multiple Gold Glove winners. Oh, this is fun. Um... All right, rookie of the year candidate. Uh, Basically, you're saying Mason Wynn yeah. is a rookie of the year candidate. That's where I'm not going to believe it. I Look, I know we talked about it yesterday. Kyler McDaniel had a great write-up about what he thinks he has the potential to be offensively. I don't know if he's going to get to that 280 average mark and hit, what was it, 15 home runs, something like that. I think he's still going to have some struggles offensively, so I'm not going to believe this. But I could see where maybe they get an MVP finalist. I could see where they end up with like three gold glove winners where Goldie Arnato bounced back. You see Edmund gets some of the conversation. Hell, Wynn gets part of the conversation. Newt Bar could be a gold glove caliber outfielder, but it's the rookie of the year that I'm doubting. Is it awful that my first reaction to that was, oh, Victor Scott's breaking camp with the parent club? <laughs> That'd be fun. I mean, Victor Scott is, when he breaks with the club, will be my favorite player immediately. Mm-hmm. He, you should he have has, about Mason Wynn. Come on. Well, center field is like my that is I know. You everything that appeals to BK, the baseball fan, a super athletic, defensive first, contact-driven, base-stealing center fielder. That is my guy right there. Like that, Everything about that appeals to me specifically. Victor baseball. Scott was created in a lab for me to like him as a baseball player. Oh, and by the way, he's super confident and like lets you know about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> that is that is my kind of player right there. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, we're diving into the BK and Ferrario Rewind. But coming up next, we did have somebody text in during this segment about Kirk Cousins being a better option for teams this offseason than trading for Justin Fields. We're going to talk a little bit about how many teams could win a Super Bowl or at least get to a Super Bowl if Kirk Cousins was their quarterback next season. That's next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. is reportedly looking for $90 million over the next two years from the Minnesota Vikings if he's going to re-sign in Minnesota. Immediately upon hearing that, your reaction is probably, oh, nope, not doing that. But then you actually look at it and you're like, I think I would do that if I'm Minnesota. That's a pretty reasonable deal. $45 million per year on a very short-term two-year deal for the Minnesota Vikings. I I think I would just go ahead and re-sign Kirk Cousins, run it back, and see what it looks like next year. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. But T-Bone, 
I, I don't know if they're going to do that. They might look at this and say, you know what, it's probably time for us to start over. Start the clock over. Let's get a younger quarterback in here in Minnesota. And so I wanted to ask you, as he's going into free agency this offseason, how many teams do you think could legitimately get to the Super Bowl? Would be absolutely contenders if you removed their quarterback from the equation and you put Kirk Cousins as the starter on that team in 2024. All right, so I'm going to go through the ones that I think are kind of fringe that I believe in first. Cleveland Browns, I think, would be one for me. That is a team that is on my list. They can't do it because of the Watson deal, but it would be great if they could. I would hear an argument for Pittsburgh potentially with their defense. Oh, interesting. I I can see that. But they're like right on that border for me. I didn't have them them. on my list, but I should have. You've already convinced me. I like that fit. Did did you have – I'm curious if you had this team, Jacksonville. No. Okay. I I thought about them. I, I would pull them off of my list, but they were kind of in my thought process there. Um, then Similar looking, to the Browns, not realistic, but if they had upgraded from their quarterback to Kirk Cousins, would they be there? I I actually think Trevor Lawrence and Kirk Cousins are too similar to feel like that's a significant upgrade. The the one that I have, and it's the team that we just talked about, I think Minnesota can get to a Super Bowl with Kirk Cousins. I, I believe so. They've got the offensive weapons. Defense is really good under Brian Flores. I think he could actually get them to a Super Bowl. Okay. Um, I would throw the Chicago Bears into this conversation as well. You bring them in, you've got good draft capital, you make a couple of upgrades around offensively in They're an offseason. I think the Bears are a team that fit this conversation. And then the other one that I would throw in here, uh, Atlanta. Atlanta is another one I threw into this list, is the Falcons. And then the one that I thought about, and you may not agree with this, I would put the Dolphins on here. Oh, okay. I, I think the offense would be even better with Kirk Cousins than it is with two. And now, look, they have some stuff to work on defensively, but I could see where, you know, if they find a way to bring some of the pieces back, that he could get them to a Super Bowl. So I did not have them on my list. I did have one other team, though, on my list. What about the Seattle Seahawks? Now that they have Mike McDonald at the helm. See, I if, thought about them. If you have the Minnesota Vikings, be, at least in part because of their defensive coordinator, you think he gives them an advantage. And I think we have seen this postseason. Like, If you have a defensive coordinator that is creative, that gives you a decided advantage on that side of the ball, you have a real advantage in the playoffs specifically, like even more so than in the regular season. It's almost like having that front-end starter. In the regular season, that matters a lot. Don't get me wrong. But when it really matters is the playoffs or yeah. having like three lockdown bullpen arms. Regular season matters. Postseason matters way more. That's what a defensive coordinator is in the NFL right now, where, dude, Steve Spagnuolo, he gives you a huge advantage. Mike McDonald, massive advantage. Those creative game callers that will break all of their tendencies from the regular seasons and make life miserable for opposing quarterbacks, that is a huge deal right now. And, And I think that if you look at Seattle with Mike McDonald at the helm, they've got that now. If I put instead of Geno Smith... Kirk Cousins as their starting quarterback, man, I feel pretty good about that team. They've got great weapons, a pretty darn good running game, really good corners on the outside, add in an edge rusher or two this offseason with Kirk Cousins. Hot damn, we're cooking with gas a little bit. Tough division, understood that, but they went 9-8 and eight this year with a guy that I think is clearly and decidedly a worse quarterback than Kirk Cousins. I would throw them on my list. You see, they're interesting because like, I did think about them because I was like, man, those offensive weapons, you put Kirk Cousins in there, that offense is going to be good. I think that defense is more than a year away, though. I, I think that defense is like two, three years away from being legitimately good because they might be. they've basically got to retool that thing on the fly under Mike uh, McDonald. So I, 
I, I would I would listen to it. I wouldn't put them on my list, but I, I could see how you get to that point to where you're right. If they have one good offseason, one good draft, I could totally see the argument for putting Kirk Cousins there. So and, we, yeah, that defense as well. Sorry, BK, no, definitely good. in the NFC West. When you talk about going up against specifically the Niners and the Rams, that D, a susceptible D, will get exposed in a hurry. I like, though, that scenario. If you think about potentially going from a functional quarterback in Geno Smith to at worst an above average signal caller in Cousins with all of those different weapons that's really something strong to consider so we named the Browns Bears Falcons Seahawks Steelers and Dolphins Browns and Dolphins are not making this move agreed they're, they're just not they're not changing their quarterbacks this offseason and it's too many different complications in doing so but the other four teams are interesting Bears Falcons Seahawks and Steelers all of them I could see making some kind of a move at, at a minimum with their quarterback this offseason now the Bears we can take out of this discussion because they literally have Justin Fields on the roster already for the Falcons St Steelers and Seahawks would you rather sign Kirk Cousins to a big time deal understanding the cap complications that they could cause or trade for Justin Fields Steelers Seahawks and Falcons which of the because I think those are going to be the clear-cut top two off-season options for you if you're not picking in the top five so if I'm the Steelers and I'm the Seahawks I would be exploring the Justin Fields route over Kirk Cousins because though I did put the Steelers on this list for me I think it's more of kind of like yeah they're kind of on that fringe of being here but I could easily see where they fall off because I still think they need a little bit more help on offense in terms of their weapons um but I I I think if you're Pittsburgh and you're Seattle, you're in a spot to where, like, I think you can kind of take on a developing quarterback. You can take on a little bit of a project because, I again, Pittsburgh's weapons are okay. I think they're still a little lackluster, so I think you can take a developing quarterback. I'm the Seahawks. Because of that defense and how it's kind of retooling, I think you can take a year or two while you're retooling that defense to develop a Justin Fields. The reason I don't have Atlanta in that conversation and I say they should go after Kirk Cousins is I think they're ready to win now. I, I think their defense is really good. I think they've got some pretty good weapons that got underutilized or were just that you couldn't use them because you had Desmond Ritter and Arthur Smith calling plays. I think you put Kirk Cousins on that team. I think they immediately become the favorite in the NFC South, and it won't be the favorite by saying winning eight games. It becomes they could win 10, 11 games and win the NFC South easily. So the, the Steelers' cap situation is a little... A little dicey uh, going into next year, to, to put it mildly. They, they've got some decisions that they're going to have to make. They, as of today, they're $16 million over the cap. That's before they make a single move this upcoming offseason. Um, and they, they're they probably going to have to make some tough choices, like either deciding to cut Cam Hayward or asking him to take a massive pay cut. Deontay Johnson, probably going to have to be cut, traded, or take a massive pay cut going into this offseason. So they're, they've got some tough decisions to make. Atlanta could make this work. And if Seattle really wanted to, they could make this work by going out and getting somebody like Kirk Cousins. And for both of those teams, I think they're ready to win now. And the other thing is, man, they're built around weapons. And so if I can go out there and get, like, pass-catching weapons, if I can go out there and get Kirk Cousins to throw to my weapons in Seattle or throw to my weapons in Atlanta, that's probably my number one option. Meanwhile, in Pittsburgh, too, I love the idea of Justin Fields in Pittsburgh. I can't get it out of my mind. I think it makes so much sense, like too much sense to not happen this offseason. He is the perfect fit for everything they want to do offensively. Now you bring in Arthur Smith, who is run, run, run. Okay, fine. Now we'll pass. Run, run, run. Fine. I guess we'll throw it one more time. That's perfect for Justin Fields. He's going to get the play action passing game going with deep shots across the middle. You get George Pickens going over the top. 
I, I don't think you could drop a better situation for Justin Fields. And if I'm the Steelers, I've got a relatively young offense. I, I think that's the kind of guy that I would be going after he, as well. Here would be the question I would pose on the Justin Fields to Pittsburgh thing. What like what is what is the ceiling for Justin Fields? Because you cannot get a, so like I think Kirk Cousins has like solidified himself as a perfect like middle tier NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. Man, in the NFC, that might be the third best quarterback. Yeah. In the AFC, you bring in Justin Fields. Like, what's his ceiling to develop to? Because I don't think you could, if he develops into being in that Kirk Cousins range, I'm not saying that's disappointing, but let me tell you what that gets you in the AFC. A big old pile of nothing. In Pittsburgh, I'm not even sure if he has a DJ Moore. Johnson, Pickens, him, and display What's that your to alternative, us? though? Yeah. Because your, your coach is Mike Tomlin, who doesn't lose. You're going to win nine games every year. So my alternative to going out and getting Justin Fields is standing pat going back with Kenny Pickett because I don't have cap space. I, I can't go get, realistically speaking, Kirk Cousins. I, I'm not going to go out there and get like a Baker Mayfield. That's not a significant upgrade. So my options are basically try to take a step, bet on the upside of Justin Fields, which is, I believe, higher by a significant margin than Kenny Pickett or Mason Rudolph, and give myself a chance there with TJ Watt while he's still in his prime or just continue kicking the can down the road. That's that's where so like you asked the question, what's the upside there? Is it high enough for you to be able to make a run in the playoffs? I I don't think so, probably not. But right now, you just made it to the playoffs this year with the poo-poo platter of quarterbacks that they had available to them. So can they can they maybe try to do a slightly worse version of what Baltimore was this year? I think that's that's the comparison. You're hoping he could be seventy percent of Lamar Jackson and you've got a defense that's really good, and maybe your weapons are a little better than what the Ravens had this past season. Alongside Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kylie. We'll hit the BK and Ferrario Rewind coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's run it back with the Daily Rewind on BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Gloria Loom, your home sold guaranteed realty. Selling your home begins at GloriaHasTheBuyers.com. from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page 101espn.com and the free 101espn app is where you go to find it it is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers before we get out of here today let's talk one more time about the St. Louis Cardinals T-Bone earlier today we mentioned how uh, the Cardinal model is being tested right now right all of us agree with that and I I hearkened back to the fact that they had Albert Pools in the early 2000s and it's reminding me of what Patrick Mahomes is doing for the Chiefs where it just masks any deficiency that you might have for the for the Cardinals in the early 2000s it didn't matter if they were light somewhere it didn't matter if they have injuries somewhere like Albert just makes up for everything because that guy had the best 10-year stretch to start a career that anybody's ever had hell he might have had the best 10-year stretch at any point of anybody's career in his first 10 years here in St. Louis and the Cardinals had a ton of success accordingly I, I do wonder if like hey when they were going through does our model work did you think about adjusting for the Albert years? <laughs> Did you think about adjusting for A? If we don't have the greatest 10-year stretch by any player ever, does it still work? Because <laughs> if not, maybe the Cardinals model, not the Cardinal way, but the Cardinals model of constructing a roster, maybe it's kind of similar to the Patriots model and the Chiefs model right now, which only works if you have the biggest outlier 
of the 21st century in your respective sports. So if you want to listen to the full conversation about that, you can go back to the 11 o'clock segment from earlier today. We talked with Joey Vitale as well. Tomorrow, we will be joined by former NFL general manager Michael Lombardi. He'll give us a lot of info on uh, what he's anticipating from the current NFL coaching cycle, including which coach that was hired this offseason he believes is most likely to make the playoffs next season. We'll get into all of that tomorrow. Plenty more to come. For Tanner Hendrickson and Bradford Bruns, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane's coming up next here on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.